Welcome to the Mega Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Jason McDonald. My goal is to get to the truth through conversation. The Mega Blast Podcast is produced by Arts and Opinion, an online journal housed at the Archives of Canada. Visit us at artsandopinion.com. I hope you enjoy today's guest. So, welcome, Ken Doolittle. How you doing? All right. Good. So, I'm here with Ken, my friend, musician, and the objective of this podcast is to talk about music, uh, and we're going to listen to a bunch of different things and talk about them. Um, the genesis of this podcast is thanks to you, Ken. Right. You were listening to um, to the, the one I did with uh, Thierry. Taz, yeah. all about different kinds of rock and roll and progressive rock and everything, and it's very in depth. And yeah, and you made this comment very valid, like you're talking about Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones and all this stuff, and you're not listening to it, which is kind of weird, right? Well, he had so. some very specific things to say about some of the music, so it would have been, uh, I thought, illuminating for him to to actually play it, play it for you, so right? You hear, <laughs> yeah. you hear it, right? Like oh. this is what I mean, right? Got it. So that that comment led me to think about. It. I thought maybe we could come up with a way to do that so we've we've got a procedure where you know we've chosen three songs each that are connected to each other so i chose one and then you chose one back that um that in, reminded in, in, in response in response uh, right How, is that positive would, or negative yeah yeah well something like you would listen you listen to my suggestion and that made you think of something so then you sent me that and then i would do the same thing i would get your thing and yeah and respond with something else so yeah. we've got the procedure is um we're gonna start doing that like we're gonna go through those one by one first um what i'll do is um what i'd like to do with each one with uh, i've got some notes on this is introduce some of the things that I want you to try and listen for and maybe our listeners to listen for and then after the song is done we can you can comment on those and we can All talk right. about that. So you'll point stuff out to me uh, prior where, to where, where I should put my ears. Yeah, that's right. it's sort of to prime prime you and prime the listeners a little All bit. Right. I thought that might be helpful. Instead of afterwards then they're you know people are trying to remember what they just heard it's kind of like was it like this was right. it like that right? Yeah. Okay, but before we get to that, um, just just talk a little bit about yourself. You're a musician, and some of the things you have done and you are doing. I just wanted to give you that opportunity. Well, I started playing music uh, sort of uh, informally with some friends back in the '80s. We had a sort of a kind of a punky band, uh, and. Uh, uh, I guess if you're going to have a punky band, you need a drummer. So I got tasked with playing the drums, although I had played bass before that and guitar, some guitar. But uh, I got tasked with playing the drums. We found a real cheap kit that we all, you know, could uh, extend with some pots and pans and stuff like that because it was like a two-piece nice. two kit or something. I forget what it was. But you don't I do need... remember we had a pot for a for a tom. You don't uh, need much, actually. A no. good drummer can beat on a snare. And I was a... not a good drummer. Okay, right. All right. <laughs> no, okay. Not a good drummer. But, uh, That's funny. So, yeah, uh, I started playing music uh, back then, I guess, uh, with, a, with a group of people. And... Uh, and you've been playing ever since, pretty much. Uh, I mean, on and off. On and off uh, right? in, in the 90s, in the early 90s, a friend of mine formed a 
well, I guess we were a four-piece. The Ratchet Orchestra was like a four-piece in 1992, I guess. Like the band I was in, we ran from maybe 84 to 86. And after that, uh, I used to hang with a, a very good drummer, very good drummer. And he had two kits in his basement, and we would get wow. together and play, just play and play and play. And That's uh, like the Grateful Dead. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that... The Grateful Dead were like the only band that they had two drummers. That was like one of the things they Allman did. Almond Brothers? The Almond Brothers did that? Yeah. Because okay. it's, yeah. it's a very unusual thing to have. Like guitarists, that's very common. Sometimes even bass players and singers, they'll go off each other. But drummers, it's very rare. So yeah. what was that experience like to, to play with? Uh, 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 <laughs> it was fun, but uh, he was very, he was good and he was loud and like sweated a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But did you learn a lot from him? I like never you... tried to learn anything no. technical ever. I just okay. made the sounds I wanted to make that, okay. I, that I could make. Wow! And so I never, I, I should have, but I never did ask him how to do, you know, paradiddles or any anything technical. I've never uh, had a technical uh, education in any kind of music. But were you trying to copy him? No, no you were just, no, he was. We did not sound that. the same at all. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. So right. we would just play these, okay. you know, extended duets, and then we bought a, a four track together, and started doing stuff on the four track. With okay. uh, he had a piano and a trombone and various other stuff, and so we would just make sound on the on oh. the four track, and uh, I started doing stuff myself on the four track, and then. Uh, I started going to Seja uh, as a mature student and studied film. I, I went into the arts and studied film. And so when I went into Concordia, I was more focused on film. I sort of dropped music for a while. Right. And in uh, the early 90s, I joined the Ratchet Orchestra, which was just about a four-piece at that time. And uh, I've been with the Ratchet Orchestra. It must be 30 years now. So that is your band, the Ratchet. It's not my band. It's well, but, Nick, Nick Kaloya right. is the the bass player and composer. So all the music, uh, unless we're doing some Sun Ra or some Captain Beefheart or something like that, it's all uh, his compositions. original compositions. Yeah, and it's a nice. uh, the band has gone from four to six to eight to <laughs> thirty. It's been more than thirty at times. Now it's six. thirty altogether. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now it's sitting That's around 26, I guess. The last gig we did, last gig we did, probably there are about 26 of us. So it's like a big band. It's a big band, yeah. I regret I've never had the chance. I know I've been invited a few times. I know you've had shows, and I've always had something going on. The most recent one was just recently last, in uh, November. Uh, uh, September. September? September. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought That's it was November. Game. But, yeah, that was yeah. Martin Deck is a, uh, a friend of mine, yeah. and he actually came to Montreal. I think it was to see that gig because it was to see his brother play, but I could be mistaken about that. But No, no. Oh, so you're talking about something else. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Uh, last year, uh, I got together with a couple of guys, one I didn't know, and uh, one who used to be in the Ratchet Orchestra and was in another band I was in in the, in the, the late 90s. And uh, we formed a trio, and we've been doing stuff uh, okay. together for about a year now, trying to compose and uh, arrange material, working together, just uh, playing and trying to get something 
composed. And that's the younger deck who's in that band. Yeah, that's right? uh, Johnny deck. Johnny deck, yeah. right. Because there's, there's like 10 of them or something. It's hard to keep it's up with family. that family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think I think there's seven. <laughs> something, yes. Yeah, seven, whatever. You six. see these pictures on Facebook. It's like, whoa, there's six guys. And we only got yeah. six of us or whatever. Right. You know, right? or whatever. And so, yeah, and, and okay. with a trumpet player who's learning how to play keyboard. So we're all sort of uh, in this, in that group, in the trio, we're all sort of... Uh, uh, or, or at least the trumpet player, keyboard player, and myself. I'm playing drums now instead of percussion. And it's doing different things, doing stuff we don't know how to do. Okay, is, well, that's always the best way to do. That's what this podcast so stuff is. A, comes out. This podcast. I don't know what the hell I'm doing most of the time. So that's how you learn how to do stuff. Sometimes right? Just, yeah, original things happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I wanted to mention too. Is um, this this particular podcast about music that we're going to do is going to be very drum heavy? I mean, you're a percussionist and a drummer. I was a drummer. I didn't choose drum-heavy music, did I? No, no, not drum. I don't mean the music is drum-heavy. I mean the discussion about the music might lean towards <sighs> some of that. That at least some of the stuff I noted down. I mean, you know, that okay. I'm thinking, but that, it may not. Right? It's funny. I don't yeah. listen for drummers when I listen to music. It's it's right. remarkable. Now it's starting to try to learn to play the drums again because I never really learned how to play when I was in the punky band. Uh, uh, I'm discovering. Uh, um, I'm listening to drummers that I've listened to forever, like bands that I've listened to forever, and just actually noticing things about the drums that I had never noticed before. Interesting. So, I so guess you're I just don't starting to, to do that. That's Yeah. yeah. I, okay. I don't listen to the drums primarily, I guess, unless it's jazz, I guess. Jazz, okay. I, I listen to the drums. But in rock music, I didn't really pay, pay attention to the drums much. Jazz drumming is so much more complex, typically, when I listen to... Yeah, you know who's that famous genius Roach? Max guy. Roach. Yeah, listen to that guy. Yeah. It's like boy, yeah. boy, try and keep up with him. See, I was you listening know? to that stuff when I was in that punky band. <clears throat> oh, okay, uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, for me, for for the, those kinds of drummers, this is just probably because I was educated. I mean, when I played drums, I played rock and roll, and I learned how to play, you know, I, I, for a couple of years. So like, so when I listen, I mean, I was describing to you off microphone about reggae. When I listen to reggae, I can hear all these things that I couldn't really do. I, it would take me a long time to learn how to do because I actually learned how to play rock and roll drums, as right. a, you know, right? which is quite different from you. You, you seem to just have started playing it by listening to um, diff uh, maybe not so much the rock and roll stuff you were copying. That's but, right. Right, other types of music. Right. I guess I was more influenced by other types of music than the rock and roll stuff, so it never sounded quite <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Good. So I'm just gonna, what I'm gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna listen to the first choice, um, which is "Open Heart Surgery" by the Brian Jonestown Massacre. That was your choice. That was my choice. Yeah, not made very clear the to first, our listeners. The first, yeah. The yeah. first one you said. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. first one. Ken would not choose this. <laughs> well, not that tune. <laughs> yeah, I like, um, I like other Brian Jonestown Massacre tunes. Right. Like more. Um. So I just you know this is. Listeners are going to hear I, just to set it up, right? I mean, I'm, I'll say a couple things. Maybe you have a few things to say about. It. It's a very dreary song. It's very a dreary. I mean, it's a very sad song, and it's a very kind of like you know, there's moaning these, in it. There's moaning and <laughs> lamenting. Uh, you know, so it's, it's like I thought I would start off with a bang, right? You know, <laughs> kick it off with something that's really going to get the party going, right? <laughs> but um, 
and so you know, it's it's a song. I, I I don't listen that much to lyrics, although I'm starting to appreciate them more. I tr I mainly listen to music first and then go to lyrics. Yeah. But if I listen to a little bit of them preparing for this, and there's a lot of pain about a love relationship of some kind that seems to be you know it's gone wrong or whatever. Um, one of the most interesting things about this, and I want to hear what you have to say about this, especially after, is the drums are dragging in a certain kind of a way. They're a, sloppy. Uh, it could be sloppy, but what's interesting is they're they're dragging, but the beat is not slowing down, which I don't really understand no. how that drummer is achieving that. All right. You know, is there anything you'd like to say before we listen well, to it? Well, I'll, I'll listen to that and yeah. see what, because I just found them kind of sloppy and there's a, it's a strange recording the drums sound a little odd uh the snares maybe are loose on the snare so it's got a lot of sort of if i remember correctly it's kind of rattly and it's got a fair bit of ring to it i guess we'll, it's a raspy when, when we, snare when we listen to yeah. it I'll, 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 i i could be I'll wrong about this but uh but i'm convinced that it must be deliberately like I, I the, you know, the, the BJM is not the kind of band that would just have a bad drummer. Doesn't is it possible beat. he played the drums on that tune? He may have. I mean, it's because he that does. That was my impression. Is that that's it could a good be question. A lot, of it, a lot of the tracks might be him, right? It, I mean, that's that's an empirical question that we could probably answer. Uh, you know, maybe put it in the notes about whether who, who was actually on the drums for that. But yeah. but to me, it, it's I, I just I would be very I would be very surprised if if it's just bad drumming. It's like I, I think it's done deliberately because of the dreary sound yes the dreariness of it and the dragging of the drums makes it even more sort of hopeless sounding you know but it, that's it, that's my impression again i, I, I could, you know it could just be the well, guy I does not to play the drums i don't know, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. well yeah uh i don't know how intentional it is it sounds it sounds just a little sloppy like maybe uh um first take could uh, be maybe an early take uh it doesn't sound like they, it doesn't, uh, oftentimes the Brian Jonestown Massacre don't sound like they went back to redo tracks very often. They just got it down and moved, moved on. on. That's I mean, a good, yeah, you look at how prolific question. that band that's is. That's true. They put out three, yeah. al three albums a year for 10 years kind of thing. <laughs> they don't have time to go back and it's yeah, not important. It's really not, it's not really all that important. It's, it's and it doesn't detract from the song. That's right. Like yeah. you say, no, it, it contributes to the turgidity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's definitely not, you know, concept <laughs> music that is, you know, it's not like Jeff Lynn, you know, the, 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 no, it's like, not. you know, how Jeff Lynn apparently would play the hi-hat on one track and then he'd play the bass drum on another. He would, right. and then he'd have like, you know, 182 tracks and put them all together. It was like all carefully sculpted. Yeah. This is like the exact opposite of that. This is just well, a bunch of guys kind of playing together, all bleeding together and kind of, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it is arranged, although this is, this one has a fairly spare arrangement, but. A lot of their stuff is quite arranged. It's orchestrated, but it's it's sloppy, and that's part of the aesthetic. I it's think is designed it's, to be. It could be. I think yeah, so. It's yeah. it's just that's it's the aesthetic. It's don't uh, you know first thought, best thought, first take, best take, <laughs> or 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 no time, no time. I got I got to get that you know the the sitar part uh, recorded. Yeah, the hurdy gurdy. Yeah, right? you got to play the hurdy gurdy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, the recorder part is I have to do the recorder part because I, I listen to a lot of them when I'm grading. Um, exams by my students. I don't know why Brian Jonestown Massacre seems to help me when I'm doing something repetitive like that. Hmm. But I've noticed that, I mean, some of their other tracks, the drums are crisp and bang on, you know, so I, I mean, I would just be very surprised if it was just the guy, maybe he was drunk at that, the guy doing the take, maybe he was pissed or something. So it Who sounds knows? draggy because, yeah, it's a Who really... Knows? 
it's yeah i'll i'll listen for uh, for for what it is okay here, uh, so let's give it a listen all right
Okay, so we're back. Um, some interesting observations as we were listening. I wonder maybe you want to comment a little bit. Well, I think you're right. The drums drag a little bit, mostly in the fills, but it has, I think, uh, the looseness is because of the... Uh, the snares at an offbeat, Yeah, right? the snares on yeah. the and of four, so it's right before the... It comes right before the, the one. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's very two. unusual. Yeah, on the end of two, and and then the end of four. So he doesn't hit on the four; he hits on the, uh, you know, just after the four. Which gives it a kind of a lurching. Yes, there's, there's a lurching nature to that. Yeah, that some note yeah, listeners look, may have loping. Yeah. loping. Yeah, and it's a turgid. I'm not, it's, I'm not sure I'm not that familiar with that word, but it it, it sounds like it sounds like it's right for like this, dirty right? water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of the things I, that I that occurred to me as I was listening was something my, my father said. Uh, hey, Dad! Shout out to my father. Uh, hey there. Um, also, well, great musician. He's a real musician, unlike me. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm just like a hack, you know. Yeah, we were talking about music last time we got. Yeah, together. yeah. But well, we always talk about music. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I see him, we always talk. about Well, music. I, I talk. His first question is. What have you been listening to lately? Right, yeah, exactly. He's like, right. I'm and we talk a lot of music, and a lot of times when he's talking music, I just shut up and listen because he's actually trained and learned things, you know, from classical stuff. But one of the things he told me when he was giving me one of his amazing, you know, sort of lectures about music was drummers, you know, to hit on the beat, there's a certain window of time. You could think of it like a band or a quadrant. So yeah. it's to be on time, right? So if you hit right in the middle, that's one way. If you hit right at the beginning, you can sound like you're rushing, but you won't actually speed up the No, if you're track. doing it consistently. Right, you if you do it consistently. Play ahead of the beat. Think know? about yeah. Charlie Watts on Satisfaction, right? Is he, is he playing ahead of the beat on that? I think so, because it sounds know. like it's rushing. Some people said he was rushing, but how could he be rushing? It doesn't speed up. Right. Right, that's so right. he's doing. he could be doing that in that. Yeah. But it could be that's some of what's going on because if you do it at the end it can sound like you're dragging I, I yeah don't know. and the fills were very uh straight very straight i guess one two three sixteen yeah so those they like have a, a slow kind of machine cave, gun kind of. or like a caveman sound <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so uh okay it has yeah it definitely has a, a Primitive kind of feel. Primitive. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Turgid, primitive. Yeah. Uh, it's and his choice. Some of his choices too, like that that organ just like droning through the whole, yeah. through the whole bloody thing. <laughs> and uh, I was mentioning to you, I just noticed it now. The guitar line. There's like no vibrato on the guitar, so he goes ding ding, uh. and it just sits on that. No, it doesn't move. Doesn't doesn't uh, breathe uh, like uh, or wobble or anything like that. So it has a very it's a very strange piece. Think about all those elements strange together. Choices. All, all of them have a depressing quality, <laughs> right? You know, yeah, right. It's, so, an, so it's, whole, it's an integrated. It's, a, it's, it's an integrated, integrated de depressing piece of music, right? <laughs> yes. As I said, I wanted to start out with a bang, right? Yeah, I wanted yeah. to really uplift people. Yeah. Right? It's it's a, it's an integrated. It's a piece, you know. You recognize the the intent. Okay. Right? There's and, no there's no mistake in the intent. <laughs> Yeah. Any, anything else that you wanted to mention about that? We're going to move on, but just anything in particular struck mm. you while you were? Well, I was joking about his uh, his, his British accents yeah. coming along fine, you know. 
That's that's it. I wonder if listeners can hear that because Anton Newcomb is sort of he, he's kind of the the Pete Townsend of Brian Jones. You know how Pete Townsend like directs everything in in the Who, right? He did all the writing, right. and musical director, right? So well, Anton, he didn't do all the writing, didn't he? Uh, like well, Hollywood, Matt Hollywood did a right. fair bit of. Writing. But apparently, he would, according to Taz, in fact, he would he would do all the instruments himself. He would play the drums and he would give that to Keith Moon, and then he would. So Anton Newcomb, oh, uh, uh, right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. Anton Newcomb is kind of like that in BJM, right? He's kind of the the, the power force behind it. So he's American. He's yeah. American. So you, your comment's interesting. Is he, is he from LA? San Francisco, California. I don't know. I mean, the the band formed in California, in San Francisco, in the nineteen nineties. You know, so it's a great question. How much? I mean, their name is literally Brian Jonestown, which massacre. So it's it's obviously a reference to Brian Jones, the the the. The, the stone who died young he's the he's the stone who went nova you know the yeah. the great rock and roll story and the, the similar kind of multi-instrumentalist young. type one of these guys who, who put a recorder in there and learn how to play you know a few lines on the recorder learn how to play what's necessary for a piece of music right according to what i've read about brian jones and i've heard this about james brown and prince and other sort of is that they can they could pick up an instrument that they'd never played before. And after about 20 minutes, it'd be like, wow, that guy sounds pretty good. You know, they could just figure it out on right. the fly, which yeah. is, uh, by the way, I think James Brown and Prince were probably far superior to um, certainly Anton Newcomb. Technically, Prince is technically, yeah, just incredible. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's sort of like on a different stratospheric level musically, I think. I don't know that I've ever but, heard James Brown playing an instrument. I must have heard it if it's oh, on the recordings, could, but, could, but I've he, never seen him playing an instrument. I've right, right. I've That's only seen good, him. I've seen him playing drums in some videos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he wouldn't but, surprise me at all if he's a total badass drummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, he started out on the piano like many in okay. his church. But one of the things that he pointed out, and there's a film, Soul Survivor, which you can see, you know, he would – he would be directing his band saying, you know, do it, you know, you need to make it sound like this. He'd be trying to explain it to them and they'd be doing it and he'd be, no, no, no. And he would just kind of grab the horn and go, do it like this and just play it. Like, okay, that's how right. I want it to sound. You oh, know, yeah. it's kind of, okay. Um, so let's move on to this inspired you to send um, Bonnie Prince Billy, which yeah. is a, an artist I'm much less familiar with. I know you're a fan. The track is called Strange Form of Life. Yeah. Um, I'll say a couple things and then yeah, you, yeah. you can you say think? more. I, I liked it. I mean, I actually grew on me a lot when I first heard it. I, I, I was kind of, oh man, this is. But then as I listened to it more, more things started to pop out at me, and I understand how you connected the BJM to this too because it's also a very slow, um, not nearly as turgid. Or, it's not, I wouldn't yeah. say it's turgid, but it's uh, desolate. Desolate. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you, you're the king of the words today, man. This is great. <laughs> Um, and again, he's good with desolate. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a there's a, a certain thing I noticed that works very well for that, which is to have. Uh, well, go ahead, and then I'll I'll bring. This yeah, up. yeah. Well, it's it, it's it's also sort of slow. It's it doesn't have any of the dragging stuff. It's much more sort of normal rhythmically. I would say. I mean, it's also what's some. It's pretty draggy, actually. Is it? Yeah, yeah I maybe. Think so. I'm, yeah. Uh, there's not really any drums. There's no drums, right. That's, at that's the very it beginning, yeah. it sounds like somebody's using a brush on a snare, but it just sounds sort of like static or distortion. It's very strange. And then afterwards, there's a, I think there's a, uh, maybe a wooden drum that somebody's tapping on. I'm, I could be confused. Know, so one of those clack. Like a tongue drum. Right. A little, uh, right. like an African tongue drum. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, it wouldn't like a, block things. That uh, they, yeah. It's yeah, got like, it's, right. it's got, it's like a box with, uh, tongues cut in it. Interesting. Right. That, that must be what inspired me to say that the sort of the lack of dragging is just the lack of snare and all that stuff. Right. right. There's no, there's no hi-hats, no nothing like that. No, that could, could it's be. all the guitar basically right. that's driving it. Yeah. It, it's also a duet, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed yeah. many of, yeah. The tunes you chose, you chose uh, by women, a couple, number by women, including this one has a woman singing yeah. with, um, yeah. I guess his name is Billy? Is that his name guy? is uh, Will Oldham. Okay. Yeah. Is he Scottish? Uh, no, I think he's American from the, from the maybe the South. Okay. Or, or the just Plains. the name Bonnie, because I was oh, associate yeah, that yeah, with that. Yeah, right. Just his stage name, I guess. Okay. Because uh, uh, in, in, he's in an Scotland, actor. he's also an actor. Oh, he is? Okay. Yeah. When they say Bonnie, it usually means... But pretty. Pretty, pretty, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, okay, so he's... he's a, okay, he's so that's actor. that's sort of interesting. There's a deep sadness to this song. It's a duet. It's also something about a love, like a, a lost love of some kind. I'm right? not sure what it's about. Yeah. Honestly, the words are kind of... Uh, they're about longing, I guess, but I'm really not sure beyond that what it's about. I, I also noted down that, that there's um, there's a very sort of I'm not happy is the wrong word. That's what I put down here, but sort of hopeful and beautiful because it's also about you know kissing the lips of this lover. Like it's this very beautiful and romantic. Yes. thing someone you you've wanted to kiss for years and years and yes. you finally find in that beautiful sensation and right, all this kind of stuff right. that's like i mean this is the opposite of the bjm thing which is just this guy sounds like he's on like methadone or you know, <laughs> you know mixture of fentanyl and methadone and his lover went away 20 years ago and he's like william burroughs or something you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> right so yeah, yeah. i don't know if you wanted to comment on well one thing i was wanted to mention is that i noticed it from listening to his music there's a couple of pieces and then somebody was playing me some music by maybe it was low i'm not sure i'm not sure who the band was but i noticed this surf a thing that works very well for if you want to get the the sense of desolation a man singing with a with a wavery voice like with an imprecise voice and a woman singing with a very precise voice with mm. no vibrato. And the contrast between wow, them makes this very weird kind of desolate, a, desolate quality. There's a complementary desolation that occurs. I don't know like how that. it works exactly. Yeah. But it's, but they, it's something it's the that contrast. I noticed in other music, in some okay, other music yeah. that somebody was wow. playing for me. It's like, oh, it's that same thing where you got like a, a male singer whose voice is maybe pitchy it's not always accurate uh, and then an accurate female and an voice. accurate female yeah. voice with like no vibrato wow. like very straight clean pure very uh yeah that's really interesting that also strange, speaks strange to a lot contrast. of sexual dynamics between men and women it makes me think of women being more like in a male female relationship being the more organized one and the man being kind of oh that's interesting you know that, that's kind of what just struck me as you were saying yeah. it like the you know but i mean again that's very deep um analysis of that that may or may not be pertinent but yeah okay uh you want to give it a listen sure okay A strange form of life Kicking through windows Rolling on yards Hitting in loved ones Triggering eyes A strange one 
into a cabin, into the weather, into a path, walking together. Okay, so um, any comments? Beautiful song, by the way. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just so nonchalant about his vocals. It's really hilarious. I was saying to you that when we were listening, that uh, there's a live version of this tune. Uh, the woman's not on it. She's not singing on it. It's a quartet. I guess him on guitar, another guitar, bass player, a drummer, and a piano player. And uh, it was on like national TV. The not the late show, but the Jimmy Kimmel's whatever show, the Jimmy it, Kimmel it, live, Jimmy something Kimmel. like that. Yeah. And uh, so this is I don't know what uh, eight million viewers, ten million viewers, yeah. 20 million, 50 million viewers, and it is the most nonchalant performance I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, you think the Stones are nonchalant when they get up there? This is re totally ridiculous. I can't believe that he. It's it, it sounds Amazing. it's very very loose, very nonchalant. I didn't uh, know he was 
big enough to be playing Jimmy Kimmel. I guess maybe I was, he was he was a fan or something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm not, no, no. All due respect to him as an artist. I mean, I don't yeah. know how famous or or non well. Like I know him through you, and I'm sort of vaguely aware of him. But I, that he's doing Jimmy Kimmel is wow. Yeah. He must be. Doing I forget well. how I. I think I might have. I think I heard of him from from. Uh, Something related to the Nirvana uh, Unplugged and uh, uh, the, the MTV the, the, that country tune that he does that, that that murder ballad that he sings, and somebody mentioning a kind of a, 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 a genre like what do they call it country grunge or I forget mm -hmm. what they called it and they mentioned him and I went looking uh, for a tune of his and it was it appealed to me immediately we we could probably do an entire episode on that MTV performance by by, oh, Nirvana. by Nirvana god that yeah. is so good man yeah. that is just yeah. That's one of those things that for me, I mean, all the other Nirvana stuff is very, very good, obviously, but that one performance, I think, I don't know what they captured there. It was very strong. It's yeah. just like, wow, you know. Yeah. But back to this track, it's, yep. it's, it's a very, it, it's, it, it is sad. I mean, it's interesting how it transitions from the BJM because it struck me as I was listening to it that it seems to get more hopeful as it goes through. It ta starts talking about the soft lips and meeting the yeah. person. At the beginning, it's this kind of sadness, and then it kind of transitions. So it's kind of like coming out of the BJM, which is just all down depression, starts out that way and then kind of picks up towards the end. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not that... sure. I, uh, what is it? The softest, softest lips there ever, 25 years of waiting to kiss them, uh, smiling and waiting to bend down and kiss twice. Those are powerful know. lyrics, man. I don't, it's, Imagine waiting 25 years. Yeah. Someone you've wanted to kiss for 25 years and kissing them. I don't know. How it's, incredible that must be. So I, I, but for some reason, <laughs> I don't see it as hopeful. I'm not even you sure don't think that the person hopeful. he's kissing is alive. Oh, so you think it's all just imagined? No, I yeah, think or... maybe she's in a coffin. Oh, okay. But I'd have wow. to, I, I'm going to have okay. to listen to every line Boy, after that, that carefully. Boy, shoots my theory, right? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it could be true. <laughs> But oh, smiling and waiting, waiting to bend down and kiss. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't know what I don't know what the tune's about. And I have sometimes when I listen to a piece of music, uh, depending on the type of vocal delivery, I can get lost in the sound of the music and just the sound of the voice, and not so much hear the words. So that's something that happens to me with the next tune that you sent to me. Is I have to pull up the lyrics and actually read, read along. Them. Not yeah. that it, it, not that I can't hear it, but. Uh, um, I focus elsewhere uh, sometimes. Yeah, that's it's. First of all, I, I I I would say that myself. You know, I very rarely, especially when I'm learning to love a new piece of of music or song or whatever. Very rarely do I even really listen to the lyrics, and I don't even care. I mean, a lot of stuff I listen to is like they're speaking very very quickly in Spanish or in some other language. Right. I mean, I speak fluent Spanish, but it's pretty hard when someone's, you know, a dembonero. And I just like, to me, it's more about the flow of the sound. Yes. But for this particular, for the purposes of this, preparing this, I took, I, I really took the time to really listen to the lyrics in most of the tracks, including this one. Yeah. And that, and so, because uh, lyrics can be really amazing when they're well done. Yeah. And it does bring us to the next one. So um, that's a good segue that you did there. Um, this Bonnie Prince Billy inspired me to think of one of my favorite Leonard Cohen songs right. called The Stranger Song. Um, I just, I made a few notes. Maybe you could just to set it up for people. It's a typical Cohen song with these, you know, very exquisite lyrics. I mean, they're just, they're so, 
the vocabulary and then the way they're put together lyrically is just is very typical of Leonard Cohen. I right. Think that listeners will know that pretty much anybody listening to this probably knows Leonard Cohen. Right? And knows that tune, perhaps. Perhaps, okay. yeah. Um, so it's the Stranger song. Um, the other thing that's interesting about it is, um, yeah, uh, um, is, is the, um, the, the the there's a European kind of fast guitar cycling around there. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot of Leonard Cohen stuff. He uses very European sounding sort of yeah. accordions and things like that. It's a bit like a sort of a flamenco picking, uh, finger picking kind of thing. It's just a what do you call an ostinato? Basically, he's just playing a uh, or like an arpeggiated chord. Uh, Right. sort of like that and it's relentless his playing is, right. is unbelievable is that him playing i think so yeah uh, he's credited he play with the guitar. wow okay. and i wonder I didn't if know he's that. singing at the same time as he's playing it uh but it's it's relentless it's and it's perfect his playing is just uh i had no idea he amazing. could play guitar that well yeah. he's I the didn't... one who's credited wow yeah. okay that's yeah. interesting to me yeah. um yeah, on, on just a quick side note, do you know that he, during the 1973 war in Israel, there's a movie about this that you might like. He went to the front lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I he, heard about With this. his guitar, and he didn't do, he just did it. Like, he, it's one of these things that's unexplained. He kind of felt drawn to go to Israel. He left his home in Greece, and he just went there. He didn't care about being filmed. There's very hardly any film. Or, Is it a Canadian film? Yeah, this yeah. it's a, it, I, I could be the the guy who made it is an Israeli who was born in Canada who's a Canadian Jew who uh, yeah I've heard of Israel. Debbie was talking about it. Yeah, and it's and it's I haven't seen the film, but it, there's a few interviews about it. and I really want to see it. But he but he went out to these. It makes me think if he's that good on the guitar, imagine being out on one of these frontline things and there's ten twenty soldiers watching Leonard Cohen sing with his guitar. Imagine how incredible and the energy in the air of those soldiers who could die. You know what I mean? Like they're on the front line of a war. You know, it must have been just incredible. And I, 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 I don't know uh, Cohen very well, and I find his his lyrics kind of arcane. Like the some of the imagery is very is sort of universal or is very evocative, <clears throat> but some of his imagery is very arcane, religious sort of imagery. Definitely, yeah. That's and, uh, so. Some of it I can't quite uh, suss out the meaning of, I guess, but. There's a couple of unbelievably great images, like the the image of the smoke curling, curling up over his over shoulder, shoulder, like a highway behind him. It's, yeah. That's a great image. curling, just like smoke above your shoulders. Yeah. Just such a beautiful line yeah. that creates an image, yeah. right? Of, and the and the and the the use of the cards as a, a metaphor for uh, relationships and what you keep hidden and what you show and yeah, that's it's it's it's. Uh, it's it's good. The, that's uh, that's I, the lyrics. Uh, yeah, there's there's so much metaphor and beauty and irony in those lyrics. There's also something interesting that I noted down about the lyrics is he doesn't say gambler because you would imagine like the song is a it's a you know, people yeah, will hear. No, he uses the word dealer, dealer right, which, which is, is so much, strange like, uh, it, because the, well, the the way that it's, you can deal in all kinds of stuff, yeah. can't you? Right, you can deal in <laughs> falsehoods, you can deal in drugs, yeah, you can, yeah, you can deal in <coughs> pretense, right. I mean, it, because it's, it's it's the way the way the lyrics are constructed. It sounds like it should be gambler, because because he's playing cards and he's like waiting for the card that is so high and wild he'll never have to you know and all right. that's a gambler doing that, not a dealer of cards, right? So as you point out, the dealer has these other meanings that yeah, it's uh, more you know. it's more uh, uh, resonant, I think, to say a dealer. I guess I, well. Uh, 
there's this kind of impression I get that uh, um, there's a power dynamic going on in the thing, right? Uh, you like I told you the, that I was the woman. stranger, right? Right. Um, but uh, but, but that it's constantly shifting, and the, that there's yeah. constantly this kind of manipulate, like bluffing. You know, the way you bluff when you're playing cards, poker uh, face, all yeah, that kind of stuff. There's, right. There's a sense of the power dynamic shifting up and down, up and down between the two of these, and it's it's uh, like what uh, what did he say? Uh, you, my dear. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait yeah. until we when we. You, my dear. Him. At the end, you, my dear. You who are the stranger. I'm not the stranger. Right. It's, you know that's it. Kind of inverts. Oh, did? Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I missed. Don't hear it. Yeah. No, it's 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 one of these. It's one of these. I, I'm not sure if any of his songs are classics, but this one seems to have a very very powerful. Uh, uh, you know, just he's got some classics, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I, I don't. I, what I'm saying is, I don't think this one is one of his hits. Right. I, I mean, it's the, it's just one of the songs on the songs of Leonard Cohen. I this is the first time I'd heard it, or I may have okay. heard it before and didn't remark it. But okay, when you sent it to me, it's the first time I've given it a really good, good, good listen. Yeah. Yeah. A good listen. Yeah. Okay, so let's give it a listen. It's true that all the men you knew were dealers Who said they were through with dealing Every time you gave them shelter I know that kind of man It's hard to hold the hand of anyone Who's reaching for the sky just to surrender Who is reaching for the sky just to surrender and then sweeping up the jokers that he left behind You find he did not leave you very much Not even laughter Like any dealer he was watching for the card That is so high and wild he'll never need to deal another He was just some Joseph looking for a manger He was just some Joseph looking for a manger and then leaning on your windowsill He'll say one day you caused his will To weaken with your love and warmth and shelter And then taking from his wallet An old schedule of trains He'll say I told you when I came I was a stranger But now another stranger seems to want you To ignore his dreams as though they were the burden of some other Oh, you've seen that man before His golden arm dispatching cards But now it's rusted from the elbow to the finger And he wants to trade the game he plays for shelter Yes, he wants to trade the game he knows for shelter you hate to watch another tired man lay down his hand like he was giving up the holy game of poker and while he talks his dreams to sleep you notice there's a highway that is curling up like smoke above his shoulder it's curling just like smoke above his shoulder you tell him to come in, sit down, but something makes you turn around. The door is open, you can't close your shelter. You try the handle of the road, it opens. Do not be afraid, it's you, my love, you who are the stranger. It is you, my love, you who are the stranger. 
Well, I've been waiting, I was sure we'd meet between the trains we're waiting for. I think it's time to board another. Please understand, I never had a secret chart to get me to the heart of this or any other matter. Well, he talks like this, you don't know what he's after. When he speaks like this, you don't know what he's after. Let's meet tomorrow if you choose upon the shore Beneath the bridge that they are building on some endless river Then he leaves the platform for the sleeping car that's warm You realize he's only advertising one more shelter And it comes to you, he never was a stranger And you say, okay, the bridge or someplace later And then sweeping up the jokers that he left behind You find he did not leave you very much, not even laughter Like any dealer, he was watching for the card That is so high and wild, he'll never need to deal another He was just some Joseph looking for a manger He was just some Joseph looking for a manger Leaning on your windowsill He'll say one day you caused his will To weaken with your love and warmth and shelter And then taking from his wallet An old schedule of trains He'll say I told you when I came I was a stranger I told you when I came I was a stranger Okay, so you were saying... I can't figure out the perspective in the song. It's like uh, it goes from first person to third person. And there's two characters, at least. right? There's the man talking to the woman. But yeah, it's... uh, It seems like a lot of time... Just just to be clear what you mean. He he says, I told you when I came, I was a stranger. So he could be quoting him. He could be quoting this man with quotes, or he could, or he could be talking about himself. Maybe there, right? but there's also other places where it's not clear uh, who the he and who's the I. Yeah, the she seems and, to be and, constant. The woman in, yes, in the song is probably a consistency yes. throughout. Yeah, and there is. A, there, yeah. It struck me as I was listening to it that it's basically the female perspective of this. I think almost he's writing. He's, I, I'm not sure if Cohen did that consciously, but. It's almost like it's her, the sadness, you know, she's talking about, did not even leave you very much, not even laughter. It's like, imagine a woman after, you know, it's very much, it struck me that it's a female perspective. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. I, I, one thing I find with, with him, uh, and I'm sure he intends it, is like often, uh, one line sort of cancels out the other one or contradicts it or, or gives it, uh, gives it this other spin. You think you know what the line is. And then the next line just turns it on its head kind of. And uh, yeah, this, the, the, the person perspective, the, the narrator perspective is doing is, that. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's strange. I, I like it. I like it. I don't think it has much going on from like a harmonic perspective, mm-hmm. like from the, very simple. Yeah. It's just the group the, the guitar. It's a vehicle around. for that. It's a vehicle yeah. for that poem. Are there any I'm others? Sure a bass? I mean, is there any other? No, it's just, not the even, just the guitar. Just the guitar. That's it. 
yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he can pedal on that low that low string really nicely. He's just <laughs> it's really, really good. It's, Sounds hard to do. Oh yeah. yeah you do that for six know. minutes? That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shit. Yeah. It's uh God. Yeah. It's really exceptional guitar playing, really. Yeah, it is. It's very good. Yeah. Um, Cohen, of course, the musicality is taking you know going to use up less time with with this. But there's there's a number of things in many Cohen tunes that we hear here. One of them you noted the religion yeah. already, which is deeply embedded. Yeah. Um, you know the holy game of poker and Joseph looking for a manger. Yeah. I, I have a theory that um, Leonard Cohen, growing up in Montreal in at that time. That religion was so omnipresent, especially the Catholic religion. He was born in the 30s? Or? He was born in the 30s. So he died at 85 or whatever a few years ago. So yeah. he was born in the... So he grew up, I mean, right in the middle of perhaps the, you know, the whatever. The, I don't know how to describe that here. I don't like the great along, darkness. Along the main, right? No, he grew up in Westmount. Oh, yeah, okay. he, he eventually went to the, he went over there. That's where the artists were going. But when he was a, you know, a boy and growing up into a young man in Montreal, yeah. it would have been, you know, these squadrons of nuns and priests and people, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 Saint Jean Baptiste would have been this enormous religious thing, you know, this, and the cross and everything and all this. So I, I, I'm convinced that that must have, because in a lot of his music, there's Christian, Catholic, Catholic yeah. iconography yeah. kind of burned into it in yeah. a very deep way, okay. you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means. I always I, had the feeling it was more Old Testament than New Testament. Well, Joseph yeah. is, I, you know, uh, um, holy game of pokers. I don't know, you know, that sounds yeah. more Catholic to me. Okay. Holy Cross, St. Croix. I'm a religious... Uh, 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 <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. ignoramus. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that means. That, that struck me a lot. Um, I, I, th I think it was deeply embedded. And I wonder if that's true for Jews in many parts of the world. You know, the Jews who grew up in societies that have a dominant um, Catholic, or maybe in the Muslim world, there must be. If you were to look into the things they do, that would be influenced by Islam and Catholicism in their works. I, I'm guessing. I, I don't know that, but um, sure. that's an interesting question. The one thing that, too, this I, I should point out to listeners that I lived outside the country for a few years. I, I think you know that. Um, and when I got homesick, I would listen to two artists. Homesick from Montreal. I would listen to Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And this was one particularly that would make me, I don't know why. This, this, this song, song of Leonard yeah. Cohen? Is it, is it a greatest hits record? or is it's, it? It's the songs of Leonard Cohen, which I don't know. That's one of his albums, his early albums. Okay, so it's not a greatest hits. I don't think a, it is. I think it uh, was an album. It's a very strange album cover with just his dour-looking face. Yeah. And listeners will almost certainly know it if yeah, they're like fans. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't, I think it is not, a, I think it was just he was a songwriter who toured around and then he got an album deal to just put a bunch of them onto an album. Because this definitely sounds like a poem that's put to music. I guess most of his stuff was like that. It was not, it wasn't conceived first as music. And it was then written poetry as poetry. And, and then, I, I imagine, yeah. I don't know, I don't know his process, but this definitely sounds like a poem that was set to music. Yeah. I mean, the music is, is just a, a yeah, repeating. It's just a repeating thing. Yeah, just, just a, a just to accompany the lyrics, basically. Yeah, it's a company. Yeah, yeah, more or less. He, he he could just read that poem out; it would sound cool. Yeah, with his voice Absolutely. too, right? I mean, it's you know, wouldn't even need the music. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing when, when, when I lived in Europe, you know, I lived in Central Europe. What was the other album you listened to? Well, okay, I'm I'm going to come to that later. <laughs> but it, the the other the other music I would listen to is Le Coloc. 
Uh, André Fortin, you know, uh, the great French-Canadian musician from the 1990s that uh, I'm going to come back to later on in the podcast, actually, because that was the other thing that they were too. Um, Anyway, when I lived in Central Europe, um, you know, if you live, the farther east in Europe you you go, the more mysterious and, and sort of evocative of the past, maybe it might be. So when I was in Slovakia, I spent a lot of time half drunk and at night in cold train stations. And when I hear him talking about meeting at the station, I remember thinking of that line. There's something about being in a cold station somewhere in Slovakia or Hungary or something. And you think, is that burned into his muscle memory as as an Ashkenazi Jew? That that, there's also a sense of, um, in Leonard Cohen's music, a very Jewish sense of insecure, like a kind of a nervousness uh, to it. I have not thought about the trains yeah. as anything. Uh, yeah. Well, I was, uh, that, it hit That's me when, when I was in those stations, you know, when it's cold and dark in November in, you know, Brno or someplace, you know, and there's a, you know, waiting for a train and there's people standing around, it's, you know, and I would think of that Leonard Cohen, let's meet between the, you know... <laughs> <laughs> right, you know. What I took I mean? the stations to- that totally as a kind of a metaphor for the place you are in your life, and uh, the pla- either a place that you're leaving or going to, because he talks about meeting in between two trains, two trains, at and, the and deciding to take another right. train. Like, right. uh, let's take the the one that's in between the two trains that we were going to take. That have you ever the been? One you were going to take and the one I was going to take. Have you ever been in a train station <laughs> in, in Europe? Not in Europe. I've never okay, Europe. because in Europe, the train stations are these places very often in Berlin and in many places where there's like tons of trains. So you're kind of like, you could walk in there and then let's meet between these trains and then just go and then take a train somewhere else because they're all going to different places. Right. And they're all lined up. So you could just walk from one to the other. Oh, so yeah. it's very much like a, a European, European image, I think, in, okay. that, in that respect. But yeah. I, I don't know that he did that intentionally. He wasn't fr- he wasn't European that's the great in his thing origin, about this, right? That, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the great things about uh, somebody like Cohen is that there's not really one answer to any of that that's stuff. Right. And he wouldn't yeah. tell you even it's, if he could. He probably didn't even know. He may not it know. Was, you know. It's just part of his... <laughs> Con, you know his consciousness is 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 context, but I think I mean that's the beauty of uh, poetry is the is the all the ambiguity you know often. Totally, yeah. My my, my brother is a, is a really big fan of this uh, guy called Ian McGilchrist. McGilchrist, who's written this book about right brain and left brain. Oh yeah. I'm blanking on the name right now. It's a very interesting book. I've read. The master is an emissary. And my brother, I was, I sent him this David Bowie song, uh, It Ain't Easy, yeah. and, and he doesn't like David Bowie, but he said, oh, yeah, because I was like, these lyrics are so interesting. He's like, yeah, they're all right brain poetry stuff. Like, he said, he said, if you ask poets and writers of songs, they don't know what the hell, it's coming out of their the other part of their brain that they can't even articulate oh, yeah. those lyrics. Like, he pointed that out about that, about that Bowie piece. song. So I think the same probably applies for a lot of Leonard Cohen stuff. He just comes from somewhere in his being, which is probably more, you know, because the left brain is about how to articulate. It's what we're doing right now is very left brain. Analytical. It's analytical and logical and rational. The right brain is very much deeper muscle memory and things that are, are reactive in the moment and things like that. And, and they, language that comes out of it is very mysterious. That we well, you can, you can also manufacture that too. Of course you can manufacture the ambiguities and he's, I think uh, his stuff seems very, very considered labored 
labored. Do so you think it could be manufactured? He oh, could be well, I, I mean, uh, yeah. I think he's got a wide, uh, I'm just guessing here, but I think he has a very wide context to draw from, a lot of knowledge and ideas, and mm -hmm. he probably read like crazy. He's, I mean, he was very he's smart. Ma it's masterful. Yeah. It's masterful, but yeah. it seems uh, very um, uh, deliberate. It doesn't sound mm -hmm. like stream of consciousness. It sounds That's very, very deliberate yeah. to me. So I mean, the images have a dreamy quality, and they just carry you, and and it's they're very uh, ambiguous, sort of nebulous. But I think it's 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 uh, very very constructed, very so it's very deliberate. of course nobody would ever know the answer to this question, even if Cohen were still alive. But it's quite possible that he would have been able to answer that question. No, right? there must be notebooks. There must be yeah. his notebook somewhere, and you would see some of this stuff turning up. Maybe you know. Interesting uh, question. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if there's like books of his lyrics with the stuff, the marginalia and, and all the stuff that got crossed out. and Biographers of Leonard Cohen listening who are climbing through archives, digging yeah. through things can, yeah. can look into that. I have That's a feeling a great, it's extremely yeah. uh, uh, labored. He'd yeah. probably write some stuff and then put it aside for sometimes years maybe and then pick it up and finish it off. Yeah. I think he, would, I think he would wait. I, I could see him waiting a year for the right. <laughs> For the, just for the writing, it's like for the right line. It's like Come I'm missing a line right there and yeah. put it on the shelf and, and coming back to it a year yeah. or two later and putting that line. I can totally see him doing that. That doesn't necessarily mean that he knows what any of it means. Though, no. In his conscious mind, right? I mean, because no. it, it, yeah. it, 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 it could be, because if it's, especially if it's coming from, from the right brain, yeah. it's going to take time for it to sort of germinate. Yeah. And yeah. sort of, you know, yeah. yeah. That's a very, very deep question about Leonard Cohen. It's, it's clear that whatever genius Leonard Cohen had is very hard to understand exactly what he was doing because yeah. he's not, I mean, you know, he can't sing to he, he's sing. I love his voice. Yeah. I think it's fantastic, yeah. but you know, the guy couldn't sing opera. He's one of these great vocalists who has a terrible, not a terrible voice, but you know, it's like Bob Dylan or somebody They had Body no Prince Billy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are these vocalists yeah. that I just find so amazing. And you just, and his it's case, express all expression, you know, uh, he, has a, he has a yeah. weird kind of, he has a weird kind of expression his stuff uh, yeah he sounds like a narrator i guess when he's doing his stuff a lot of it it doesn't uh, he has a distance there's a distance mm -hmm. to his voice he sounds yeah. like a narrator almost uh, like he's kind of absurd it's not an emotional voice I don't no find not it at all a, a, not an emotional all. voice it's very detached but it's, he's very interesting yeah uh, i don't listen to him very much but but uh, okay, I mean, it's uh, I can see why people just listen to him for their whole life and and still find it um, engaging and revealing. And there's something they they can get something new from it. Yeah, you know, fifty years after listening. Totally. To what well, <coughs> I can totally, I get that. I, I also think I mean Leonard Cohen was a sort of many different things. I mean, he was also very appealing to women as well just his person did you see him on night music no he liked to play i I've, it seemed like he really liked that image it's a great performance he did on night music yeah. you know that show no it was no. Uh, in yeah. the 90s it was uh hal wilner was the producer of that thing and it had uh david sanborn was the uh mc master of ceremonies first it was jules holland and david sanborn and it was five different artists a night okay yeah. uh, shot in new york city and uh, uh, Leonard Cohen had a great uh, appearance on that show. He did a uh, couple of songs. 
Who by Fire with Sonny Rollins playing saxophone. Wow. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so good. And uh, that, That's uh, the strangest mixture of musicians. Oh, that, oh. I must be fantastic. We'll though, watch but, it after. Yeah, after okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's wow. unbelievable. Sonny Rollins and Leonard Cohen, just those two. But there's <laughs> a, a, I think it was at the end of that tune. He's yeah. got his two female backup singers dressed like chanteuse, you know, yeah, like yeah. with the, the cocktail dress kind of thing. And at the end, you know, he's got and his fedora, you know. Yeah, yeah. His usual and at the end suit. of the song, yeah, at the end of the song, they come up and they both take his arm and they walk him up the stairs <laughs> like they're going up to the hotel room. It's, it's just so that, it's a so threesome good. or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It's so. <laughs> but the the, the reality so was he really was and he was a, a sexual icon. He yeah. was a ladies' yeah. man in real life, and he also was a sexual icon of 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 a sort of a very unique type in many respects I right think. Uh, yeah because you know he was this sort of you know he was not some garish kind of like you think of like mick jagger or james brown no, he wasn't, they attract he wasn't extra- women it wasn't extravagant it wasn't extravagant that, it was at all nice kind of yeah nice very kind calm of, yeah and another interesting thing about him i listened to an interview with Cla- him. kind of classy you know? classy yeah, yeah sort of old european stuff yeah but and I, I heard an interview yeah. with him once with terry gross i don't know if you ever listened to fresh air it's a, it's a npr show but okay. one of the things that struck me about that interview was it was hilarious. Like Leonard Cohen, if you're, he was a really funny guy. Yeah. He actually, which is, is totally not present in his music. There's no jokes or anything, you know. Right. <laughs> and, right. he, and he was, yeah. fit. and that's another thing that women love. Women love to laugh, right? So that's, you can sort of imagine him having this whole package of, you know, kind of this kind of, this dour, but then also, you know, this ability to make people laugh at right. the same time. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So this inspired you. We're going to move on for you to send to me Joni Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, a great can- a Canadian artist. Uh, this is the second Canadian so far. And she um, was together with Leonard Cohen for a while. Is that right? Yeah, as far okay. as I know, oh, I remember correctly. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't I know I, that. I believe so. Yeah, too. Not that it matters. You, well, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. That's I'm I, talking about him as a ladies' man, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you know, she was Johnny, a man's lady, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so the great Canadian singer songwriter um, uh, Joni Mitchell Furry sings the blues. Um, I I don't know if you want to say that. I I just. This song has, I think, the first, well, it's not the first time in this podcast, but it has a very, very, almost a, um, it's a story. Oh, yeah. This is really a story that we're listening to, right? That you can imagine, like, for every line that comes out, very different from the Cohen, which is these things that are sort of partly connected and not... More nebulous. Nebulous, and it's not clear how things are connected. These images are crystal clear. And it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? (laughs) She can really... Although there's uh, plenty of uh, wonderful um, uh, uh, turns of phrase and double entendre and uh, the the poetry of it... uh, uh, mm. One of the lines uh, I, I really like, uh, well, one of the stanzas, I guess, pawn shops glitter like gold tooth caps. Yeah, because tooth. In the, he, so he has like dentures. A, uh, Furry has it was dentures well, around. No, this is like a, a, no. a, a, a well-dressed sort of criminal who preys on. I, the image in my mind is this is the kind of person who preys on somebody, maybe okay. a pimp type right. or a criminal right. type. 
who likes to have their status right where you can see it. On the tip. And it's, yeah. it's when they smile, but it's not a good smile. <laughs> yeah. And, but also, to, to continue, it's pawn shops, pawn shops, right? Glitter like gold tooth caps. In the gray decay, they chew the last few dollars off old Beale Street's carcass. Carrion and mercy. That is such yeah, unbelievably wow. good writing. Very deep, yeah. yeah. Okay, so so we've got uh, we've got a lot of uh, a very deep storyline. Uh, anything about the music that you just? Oh yeah, to, well, yeah. Joni uh, set people up. Yeah, Joni, you I noticed on one of your interviews you were talking about uh, open tunings or alternate tunings. Mm -hmm. Joni had alternate tunings for practically every tune. Really? So yeah. she, all of her tunes have a peculiar wow. tuning. And, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that so, must that must make it hard for her to perform live. She, she just she, she could tune quick. Yeah, yeah, okay. live in between tunes, she she would just talk to the audience for 15, and 20 seconds. And she could tune time. fast. She had unbelievably good ears. I think her 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 pitch is uh, must be very. Good this is the she, this is the the yeah. first tune with a singer whose voice is like. Spot on in the show this evening, right? Yeah, actually, a real singer. Spot on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she can, she, yeah. she hits it, <laughs> and and uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, her uh, uh, you have Cohen who sp speaks, and uh, so the the, con the, the contours of his lines are like uh, are uh, the lines of speech. You know, the contours, the the words. It's more and, like and rap. Contours are Cohen's course, almost course, more like spoken. a rapper. It's yeah, spoken. spoken word. Yeah. The thing is that Joni can. Writes she writes melodies, but the melodies have the contours of speech. Like uh, if a question is being asked in the tune, it's never the the pitch oh, is never going I down. It's, so it's always like the pitch of the of the of the melody is always contoured to nat to the to natural human speech. speech to human yeah, speech. To the, to the, wow. Which so, I, and so she was a, she was right. unbelievably good at that. That that's, was I think wow. that's one of the things that that. She's one of the best uh, at that, I think. I appreciate you mentioning that now because that's that's something I'm going to listen for. Yeah, on, on that. that's a very interesting yeah. comment to actually because those things are not accidental, right? No, they're this, not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're her not music is extremely yeah. refined, and right. uh, I think the guitar work on this is unbelievably good. She's playing both guitars on this. Uh, elsewhere on the record, she has Larry Carlton, jazz guitar player, playing on this. But on this okay. tune, she's in both channels playing the the two guitars wow. and her. Her chords are just so beautiful. The way that she plays with the dissonance, it's very, it's deceptive. The music sounds kind of sweet sometimes, but the harmonies are very, uh, often very uh, spiky. But uh, mm -hmm. she's, uh, what did uh, Charles Mingus called her? One nervy broad. <laughs> <laughs> she's, her, her stuff I find really has... Uh, grit to it but yeah, it's yeah. it's not the first thing you think of when you think of Joni Mitchell as a, like a badass but I think she's a I she's think a, a lot badass. of people saw her that way good my, my mother my mother was a huge fan of Joni Mitchell and I think I I, I haven't listened to as much of the, her music as you have or my mom did uh, but my I sort of remember my mom kind of admiring her for being this powerful woman yeah. kind of like this yeah. feminist kind of icon kind of thing which yeah. was interesting to me i didn't really understand it exactly but that that takes grit yeah. to be yeah. right it's, and it you know, also i mean the, the the vulnerability in her music is is interesting too the uh there's a famous anecdote about when uh I think Chris Christopherson first heard all her songs for Blue, the record Blue, her mm -hmm. break, breakthrough record, and he said, uh, "Don't give it all away." Like, 
You're just <laughs> revealing way too much. It's this is not good. Yeah. I did not think it was wise to reveal as so much, much as, vulnerability. As yeah. Yeah. The <coughs> but, inner soul of a person that's it's almost like one of these actors, you know, that get up there and they do have a performance where it's just it's they're opening up method, their method whole, acting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but they're they're sort of opening up their own soul for the audience to sort of the you know, the cinema goers. Acting's one of those or, things I don't understand. Right. I hear actors talking talking about it and it sounds so unbelievably uh, uh, difficult, like risky and uh, like uh, demanding, like exhausting. A a acting mm -hmm. sounds exhausting, especially theater actors who have to do it every night, do it uh, day after day. Can I've heard, you imagine? I yeah. listen to interviews with some actors, and it's, I never that. appreciated how yeah. unbelievably. There's also there's be. also if you're trying to do one of these method things, there's a pretty good chance you're gonna look like an idiot. If you know what I mean, like if you yeah, don't I do suppose. it right, you're going to look like you're going to be overly crying or overly right. Like it's, you know, because it, 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 the, the fine line between getting a perfect vulnerable scene and, no looking, doubt. and, and, and looking like and, someone and who's going just, to pieces. Yeah, going to pieces and <laughs> hamming it up in this ridiculous way. You know? OK, so let's see how Joni does it. Across the street, she's silent 
Waiting for the record's beat Silent Staring at her stolen name Diamond boys and satin dolls Bourbon laughter Ghost History falls to Parking lots and shopping malls As they tear down Old Beale Street Old furry sings the blues He points a bony finger Says I don't like you Everybody laughs as if it's the old man's standard joke But it's true, we're only welcome for our drink and smoke Don't you see handy, I'm rich and I'm famous and I'm not familiar with what you played, but I get such strong impressions of your heyday Looking up and down Old Beale Street Ghost of the dark town society Come right out of the bricks at me Like it's a Saturday night They're in their finery Dancing it up and making deals sings the blues Why should I expect that old guy to give it to me too Fall into hard luck and time and other thieves While our limo is shining on his shanty street Old furry sings the blues So, what do you think? Beautiful song. Huh? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, she has another song that's got a similar kind of theme of uh, uh, down and out musician uh, and uh, her feelings about the money that she's making playing, which she richly deserved, but I guess... But I guess uh, Probably somehow deserved. she, I guess she, she, she might feel like it's a, a, as much a matter of chance as anything else that you. Which it always is. If some, you get that famous, yeah, sense. right. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> but you can't fight that. I mean, all of our lives are a mixture of of how of our talents and the luck. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Right. So, but it's easy to feel guilty about that. Uh, yeah, it's, that, I, I, right? I don't think it's guilt that she feels, but it's yeah. the, it's just the the contrast, the the kind of the irony of of. Uh, um, loving this this other music sometimes, uh, <clears throat> right? And these other artists like uh, you know Busker, uh, Busker for example. I, I was just thinking that as as you were saying it, it's like I I've seen musicians on the street who I mean who just I don't know if they're geniuses, but they're as good as anyone I've ever paid hundreds of dollars to see. Yeah. I remember seeing some guys in Chicago one time, 
Yeah. One guy tap dancing and a guy behind him on two Rubbermaid. Yeah. He had two of those the Rubbermaid. Tubs. Yeah. Just tubs upside down, beating yeah. them. Yeah. And it was incredible. I mean, this yeah. is yeah. what I said. You don't need a big kit yeah, to be a good drummer, man. There's some great like, players on this. <laughs> it's like this guy, a couple of black guys, you know. And then and one of them was the guy tap dancing was very sort of well-dressed. He had a turtleneck on. He was a thin young guy. Yeah. You know, and they were so good, you yeah. know. Right. And it's just, and I saw a guy in Paris once, a black, another black guy playing an African instrument this you know and he was playing in the metro and I just got hypnotized I had to stop and I had to go around to the other side and I was listening to him for like half an hour and everybody along the platform you could see them kind of imi- trying to imitate like everybody was listening to him because he was so good right and I went up and talked to him and he told me it was this Cameroon I think it was Senegalese thing Malufa you know and, okay. and I was like man you should be playing in style a style of music he was yeah playing. I was like do you play in a club or he's like nah nah I just play in the metro <laughs> So I think that Joni Mitchell, I think if you're as famous as Joni Mitchell, you might go in the Metro in Paris and hear a guy like that and think, why the hell isn't that guy up on the stage? He's better than me, you know, right? I think that might be part of the, not guilt. She has a song about that, right? Real Good for Free, a busker. Uh, But yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, this, I guess the the whole Beale Street, you know, uh, past its prime, right? A a place of, of the blues and... Mm-hmm. Country blues, I guess, and uh, so past its past. You talk about and, the furry sings the blues, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It mentions Memphis, Tennessee yeah. at one point. Neil Street is the, I guess the right. the main drag where the club, okay. all the clubs were and the theaters oh, were. Okay, okay, I didn't know so, that. It's yeah. interesting. But now it's pawn shops. Yeah. Right? Okay. So so it's all degraded and run down. Yeah. Like said, having been a glorious chew the last few dollars off old Beale Street's carcass. <laughs> right. right? Uh, yeah, yeah wow. the image of the theater. There's a she says there's a double bill murder at the New Daisy, and the old girl silent across the street, staring Sound at films. her staring at her stolen name. So it's like a new theater, the old theater where everybody used to play is decrepit. It's uh, ab- abandoned, and there's yeah. a new place across the street, wow. but it's just uh, I guess a, a cinema. Yeah, just common, common cinema. N- nothing, right? nothing unique about nothing it. This, yeah, creative right, art happening right. anymore. I guess right. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. wow. And that's Memphis or Memphis. That's in yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. So it's that's... funny because uh, I I saw a performance of uh, Conway Twitty from the nineties, and he's <laughs> still singing Twitty. about Beale Street like it's like it's in its heyday. He's singing about you know a Saturday night on Beale Street, old man playing the blues. It makes his guitar talk, duck walk, two-tone wingtip shoes. It's all very, you know, very romanticized. But I, I think, and this Joni is like, this is 20 years before and it's already like gone to shit. Wow. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if so it's rehabilitated a, in the years. That's, since, that's a great question. What, what is this, 80s, 76. 90s? 70s. Okay. So that's, right. Okay. So in the 70s, American cities, including Montreal to some extent, went through a period of decline. What happened, I mean, this is a socioeconomic point, but... Los Angeles, Detroit, many cities, even New York and Montreal, built auto routes. The idea was everyone's going to drive and it's going to be great. We're all going to have our cars, you know. So you go to Detroit, you go to Los Angeles and Montreal, too. There's this system of, of uh, roads that were built at that and time. You got the suburban blight. And then and then what it led to was people sort of the suburbs growing quickly and then the right. downtown cores. This would turn into these kind of decrep- – you know what it was like at St. Lawrence and St. Catherine back then? In this, in the 70s and oh, yes. 80s, how, how it was like it was like all hookers and oh, drugs. Yeah. I mean, it was yes. like, you know, even now, if you go into some parts of the 
Gay Village, you can still find some of that if you yeah. get further east into Austria. No, it was very, very obvious on that corner. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, and that's, and of course, in the United States, in all was, four directions on that. Yeah. Corner. Yeah. It was like every corner. And the Cleopatra is still there, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that Down guy. The street. It's right there. And that guy won't sell. He's like, I refuse. He's like the only holdout from the back then, back in the 60s and 70s. But in, in the United States, I mean, this is about Memphis, this song. Yeah. It was much more extreme, right? The, what was called white flight. There was a racial component right, there. Right. Blacks ended up being majorities in places like Detroit and right. Baltimore. And all the whites left. And then crime went up. All these other types of socioeconomic issues started to get more intense as well. So she, I think she's talking a little bit about that stuff indirectly. Right. Right. Some of that de urban decline. Right. Right. Yeah. Lamenting. Yeah, no doubt. Lamenting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, any other comments about it? It's a very beautiful tune. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nothing. Yeah. No. Okay. This led me uh, to, now that I look at it now, after having this discussion, it's not, my next choice is somewhat strange. In, 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 <laughs> but but it's more, I, I think I was reacting. to go to another direction. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah, why not make the change? But it reminded me musically a little bit of a Stone song from Exile on Main Street that was not actually on the original Right version. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's a Stones. Exile on Main Street is um, the Rolling Stones sort of opus album, double. It's their what their white album in some senses, right? right? It's their big double that they were like, screw you to the record companies. We're just going to do something that's like totally off the wall and had all these different musical styles on yeah. it. So this song is called. Sorry? Sprawling. Sprawling, right. That's a good word. This song is called So Divine, and it, it somehow didn't make the cut on the original one, and it's on some re-releases that right. you can get. And yeah, I noticed. Um, I don't know if you want... There's not much to... I mean, you know, there's a few things you could say. It's got, it's got a really good Jagger, badass kind of drawl. You know, he's, he's doing his real strutting, drawling thing is yes, something yes. very evident in this. Yes. I, I don't know if you had any... What's comments. the word I'm looking for? There? Yeah, uh, it'll come to me. Yeah, but that's something that really comes out in this. Yes, it's, it's a, and it also has it's it, musically it's um, sardonic, sardonic, but it's exactly like an earlier Stone song, the guitar riff. Um, well, it sounds a little bit like the riff from uh, uh, Paint It Black. Pa Paint It Black. That's yeah. it. It's it's almost identical. It it's changes. that same kind yeah. of uh, I guess Arab uh, in yeah. quotes kind of thing. <laughs> Aladdin song, right? The subtitle of this is Aladdin song, and it, it's uh, yeah, it's a uh, I don't know if some kind of a pentatonic riff or something. I'd have to. But it goes, uh, it kind of follows the same riff, and yeah. then it veers in a different yeah. direction at it's a certain the, point. Da, da, da. It's got right. the same. The first four notes are, are, the, are the same, same and then it then it goes yeah. somewhere else. It goes somewhere it's else. it's a little bit like Keith Richards mm -hmm. pointed out that um, Jumpin' Jack Flash and Satisfaction are the same riff but in reverse. Oh yeah, you ever, yeah. If you and if you listen carefully to it, it's kind of the same thing. It's just almost like the mirror image. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's almost like Richards. He, come up with an idea. Hey, maybe I could make a little op like I think he that's kind of what he was thinking, kind of just play with the same thing a little bit and see if it goes All somewhere. Right. Maybe that's what was happening. I, yeah. I don't know the It's just, it's, it's evocative, I guess. I don't know why they it, it they call it Aladdin song, but yeah. but uh, maybe it's simply because of that the 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 melody of the yeah that could uh, be this kind of Arabic uh, oh, you know it's got it's it got a Middle Eastern harkens back to the painted okay. black psychedelic stuff yeah. yeah I mean it's and it's very the, you know the lyrics are pretty mundane kind of you know talking about a woman who's very narcissistic and you know it's not really there's I don't know I don't know maybe listeners will hear something there I don't know if you wanted to yeah, mention no. that before we listen 
Yeah, I didn't think much of the lyrics. Yeah, not really. Uh, uh, um, the the final thing that again back to our boring. Well, I thought of them, but I didn't think they were uh, uh, worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think much of these kind. Of, it's it's yeah. this kind of uh, uh, verging on misogynistic kind of. Uh, well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's. Yeah, uh, it's it's such a cliche, uh, I guess it, that 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 type of story, right? Totally. You think totally. you're so great and wonderful, and Screw everything you, you say is yeah. the best thing yeah. ever said, and I'm gonna leave you. Yeah, I'm gonna walk out, and you watch me. You watch me. You're gonna yeah. watch me go. You're gonna see my ass as I go. But I'm terrified in reality. Is, I, I, is think it? I think that's probably the deeper oh, problem. I didn't there. get that. That's the deeper I did male not get thing. That. It's I got pres- the strutting. Yeah. Well, I, I, I <laughs> would I, I would use the term misogynist adjacent. I think would be yeah because it's not it's just, quite. It's not it's, quite it's belittling. It's not misogynist. It's not misogynist. Yeah. But it's this kind of a, a paternal uh, patronizing. 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 Yeah. And it's very specific kind of male patronizing of female. It's macho. It's got, it's got a macho yeah. kind of not thing. misogynistic. Yeah, but it's it's not na- it's not pleasant. It's not nice. It's nasty. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it also, but it also, it also made me think. It kind of like you. We wonder, have no idea of of who who. That's how, right. That's who right. she really right. is, right? Or if no, even she zero. exists, he yeah. might have just made the whole thing up. I yeah. mean, no, so I don't mean in reality, that. but I mean the character that he's singing to in the right. story doesn't have any other characteristics except the ones that he right. describes in a negative manner. <laughs> the the narrative, yeah. <laughs> well, what do they call that? The, you know, the narrative narrator, the unreliable, problem, unreliable narrator <laughs> problem. You hear somebody telling a story; it's like you're hearing their side of Could it. Be. Right? Yeah, yeah. But there's also the other question that you could raise is maybe he's some of what he's saying is true could about be. that person. It could totally interesting be true. question. It could right? a, it's a, absolutely yeah. be one hundred percent true. Okay. Yeah. One one final yeah one final yeah. thing I'll yeah I'll mention before we listen is back to the mundane boring drummer nature of this which we mm. haven't actually talked much about since the BJM but the drumming's um, been pretty subtle in the well there's no drumming in the Cohen and. The, the, that's right, yeah. In the yeah. Bonnie Prince Billy, it was actually a cajon, I think. Uh, yeah, there was that, that's, that's right. Box. So, so we're back to a standard drum kit again. Uh, with, on with this one, on, on the, the Joni yeah. too, there was drums, but the drum, the very drum, the drum was very subtle. John, yeah, John Garren is an yeah. unbelievably good, subtle drummer. One quick thing I wanted to mention before I forget about Joni Mitchell is that you mentioned that Neil Young is playing the harmonica. Yeah. So this is turning into it's, an all-Canadian a, podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's great. You and know? his harmonica <laughs> is so good because it comes in when she talks about about the statue of W.C. Handy with his trumpet in his hand uh, and it there's no trumpet in the music. Instead, it's the harmonica. And it's so it's <laughs> so uh, dissonant. What everything that's played on harmonica well played. is very dissonant, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, sometimes when she talks about uh, it's mostly muttering now in slideshows feel. Right when when Furry's playing, the stuff yeah. that he plays just sounds like somebody often muttering right, to himself. Right. It's wow, very so cool. Inward. The yeah. harmonica is this very uh, yeah inward kind of uh, interesting. Well, it's wow. Really okay, <laughs> that's, that's playing on that is so good. But I bet she had. <laughs> No idea. I I don't think he had any idea what he was going to play. It's like and he just did it. And he just did, it sounds yeah. to me like it was isn't a live take. Just think? done in Is one it? one take. Yeah. It sounds yeah. to me like you know he yeah. was listening to the tracks. They're just following. Play, played along. and she said that's so fucking Perfect. good. Yeah. That's never something she could have asked for. She could she would not yeah. have <laughs> said like play this. So she typically recorded live. Uh, mm. like I mean, all together as a band. Oh, that's yeah. a good question. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what she did in the studio, but she could play all of this stuff live very 
with great subtlety uh, her band was she had a great band at this time yeah uh jocko pistorius wow uh, well jocko. there were two different bands uh, jocko, jocko plays was, with her oh yeah band? jocko was in the band in her that. band uh, i didn't know that wow. he's on this record he's not on that tune okay that's a guy named max wow. bennett on the bass but jocko was in was on that wow. record and, i think my uh, father's uh, going to be very impressed uh, by that because uh, I, I think he's a jocko fan he's yeah a, he's there's like a, there's a great concert yeah. video called shadows and light with it's uh jocko pat metheny on guitar wow her uh, uh, Don Elias on drums and Lyle Mays on keyboard. So it's wow. Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays were the two wow. primary, I mean, the two melodic members of uh, the Pat Metheny group at that time. Wow. Yeah, so well, super group, you know. Uh, right, yeah, one of those super groups. Well, one of the reasons I asked that is that I know that the Stones, particularly, the Stones' sound is like the musical sound is led by Richards more than Jagger, right? Okay. And Richards has said multiple times that he he prefers to play together as a group than to record. They're definitely tracks, that kind of a group, right? Yeah. So I like, and he he claims that there's something that happens when musicians play together. Oh, there is something. different than if you're just in the studio and you're playing your guitar riff with the headphones on. He claim he says he can't get the same. Maybe that's sense, why. Maybe that's know. why their Satanic Majesty's request. <laughs> right. It was all. <laughs> <laughs> all the other albums are all played oh, together it's except for that one. bad. I really, I tried to listen to it the other day. I swear to God, it's like, oh, it, I, I think it on just this, treads water for yeah. like twenty two minutes. I, I gave up after about twenty two minutes. I think that I think this tune must have been at least part of it would have been live recorded. Most some of the instruments may have been looped yeah. in later, but yeah. a lot of it must have been them because they're at that house in France when they were making that album for this one. For this, yeah, must yeah that was in the basement of the you know when they were what they were fleeing their tax. That's why right, it's called right, Exile right. on Main Street. It's right, right, right. Exile or tax exiles. Okay, so let's give it a listen. Right on.
Okay. All right. So, all right. So we're back. We're having a couple of drinks here just to, because uh, it's, well, we're enjoying this. Uh, okay. So that um, I was mentioning to you off microphone, um, very, probably the most, not complex musically, but there's more instruments in that and there's more different kinds of things going on in that than anything we've heard so far, I think. Mm. Um, you know, Joni is very complex with the guitars. Joni's subtle, so I would, I still think probably the Joni's a bit more complex. Could well be, yeah, uh, could be. This has more instruments in it, I guess. It's got the the vibraphone and the. What is that thing that's going? I don't even know what the hell that is. Maybe some kind of a keyboard, some kind of a strange keyboard. Yeah, it must be a keyboard. So yeah, yeah it's it's a, a fleshed out. Uh, arrangement yeah well that's yeah it's it, there's yeah. it's may have, it, i mean the stones are not known for being hugely complex you know like they're not they, they, it's not really their mo but they are known for having um a lot of things and doing things in a kind of big way maybe something like that but yeah. some of the things we were geeking out on was um that i forgot <laughs> to mention was uh charlie watts's drumming is just so amazing yeah good, i like his right? drumming on really, uh, I, like, I like his drumming yeah, well, one of the things we both noticed was the fills are just one drum, one-handed. One-handed boom, 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 boom. Yeah, not like, you know, like, brrr, all the way around. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> give, his, like, give his left hand a rest. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's like, because when he played a, a when, to reach over with the side stick, that might actually be... Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're playing overhand, any any right hand player is just going to lead with his right hand. So it, it no, it won't be a problem. I wonder, but it's, it's just a sound. You know, it gives you a sound to, <coughs> to hit twice with the same the right same hand. Same dun, hand. Dun, 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 right. Dun, dun. Sounds different I, than if you do it with two hands for sure. Well, it's it's dun, all, dun, dun, dun. also often there'll be not just twice. Many fills it'll be four per. Like it'll be like a, yeah. a roll on each drum, which yeah, is yeah. a more typical uh, um, fill. Yeah. But. Uh, <coughs> Yeah, well, I mean, one of the unique things about Charlie Watts, which many people know, is the syncopation of the hi-hat with the snare, yeah. um, which I was hearing in this. You were not hearing, so I don't know what's going on. I, I heard him hitting the hi-hat with the snare yeah. often on this, but there's also a tambourine on so that. So it could be the tambourine. Yeah. tambourine. Yeah. And there was one point, there was one point where I noticed that it was... It wasn't there, and there was a tambourine hit, and I did not mistake the tambourine mm. for the hi hat. So I think he had the hi hat going sometimes, sometimes with the snare. I don't think I don't think it was a rule for him uh, necessarily. I thought he always played that way. I'm not I, sure. He cl he claimed. I mean, I I thought that was like his signature that he. It, it is. You know, I mean, that's what you. I mean, other drummers that do that knows. as well. But um, it sounded to me like he was hitting the hi hat. Uh, then again, who knows? Yeah. Uh, also, there could be overdubs and things like that too. Yeah, that's sometimes that's, when there are loops, sounds, and, sounds get in there. Yeah, um, that's yeah. I mean, it's 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 just. I mean, it's kind of a complicated thing to explain to listeners. But basically, normal rock drummers when they hit the hi hat, they 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 hit the the snare at the same time, and yeah, all the other two. If they're hitting on two and four right. with the yeah. snare, they're going to hit the hi hat at the same time. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and so yeah. Whereas Watts does this thing. Where one, he goes, and, one and nothing and one yeah, and two and yeah. nothing. And so he's he's sort of hitting the snare drum on a middle beat, sort of is one way to think about or it. Or he's, like he's not between. he's just not doubling it on the high. Right, he's not doubling. And it creates this somewhat unique of a sound. But my father believes it's something to do with his jazz. I mean, originally he was a jazz drummer. 
I don't know if that's a thing in jazz. I don't, you know. Well, it's, I asked him, what's the deal with it? He said, yeah, it could be his jazz influence. You know, I don't know. Yes. But. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. It's one of those, one of those very geeky. Uh, <laughs> but I thought I heard, I thought I heard the hi-hat uh, being played with the snare there. Yeah. I, I know, he, I know the, he doesn't do it uh, often, but. Yeah. Well, he, he, must, he must do it sometimes. I, I mean, I. I can't see it being like a rule, you know. It's kind of the thing. I always thought it was, but again, I, I don't know enough yeah. about. It. Yeah, about it seems it. like a weird kind of arbitrary rule. It's like uh, <laughs> if if it sounds if it's it's working for the sound. If it's right, gonna, if it's right. going to yeah, that's true. If it's going to uh, project your sound better or leave the space for mm -hmm. the vocalist or whatever to have the you know the that makes the sense. Beat. But it might sound better on on, on the snare beat. Just for a different type of tune, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he I thought I heard it. In there. He claimed the listeners also, could he, decide for themselves. Yeah, that's right. But I think most of the time, I actually heard the hi hat going with the snare. Really? Yeah. yeah most okay. of the time, because I, I hear it the opposite. I mean, I don't know. We probably have to listen to it again. But because um, I thought I was playing it, and it sounds like. But anyway, um, yeah. You that, fool yourself by doing that. Maybe I wonder. I could be. Uh, use your ears. Don't use your hands. Well, what I what I usually do because it took me a long time to learn how to do it is I usually start out by playing along with the hi hat, yeah, and I don't even listen to the snare, yeah, and then I start to listen to the snare, and if I and and I up to now a lot of bands, I okay, it's landing on the same beat, but with with Charlie Watts, I always hear it on the on the middle beat. I think there's a funny yeah. thing that can happen with your mind is that if you're focusing on what your hand what your hands are doing. You will fool, fool your ears. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I mean, people do that all the time with tapping, uh, trying to keep time by tapping, and they think they've got time because they're they're in time to their foot, but they're no longer in time to the music, these kind mm. of things. You can fool That's yourself. You can yeah. fool yourself by uh, not great. putting all of your attention. To Onto the... Yeah, but well, I I could be wrong. There. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons that I I I start by just by well playing. Well, what I really mean is listening to the hi hat. Yeah, like listen first to the hi like first listen to the hi hat, and yeah. then okay, now listen for the snare. You know. Yeah. And then and sometimes when I do that, I can, and when I do that with other like with most bands, I end up hearing them on hearing them like it's like okay they're they're landing on the same beat. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? That's the typical thing. Yeah. Um. The Absolutely. one one of the exceptions I heard recently was you know MGMT. Yes, yeah. you sent me something. Yeah, yeah, they 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 were one of these hipster bands from New York in yeah. the two thousands, and yeah. the drummer there is doing it very obviously, very slowly tapping, and yeah, it's it reminded me that that actually in disco they do it all the time. Oh, the really? Watch thing, of course, right? Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. That, that it has it that, that disco and other yeah yeah Dennis wow. Davies does it a lot Dennis, or da right. Davis Davis or Davies on. Uh, on uh, 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 station to station, okay. There's a few tunes. That's the David Bowie, yeah, right. Yeah, you can hear him doing that. Interesting. That, that Charlie Watts kind of, although he's got more going on with that. So that the disco thing. That, so that makes me think. My father's theory: there might be something to that because if it's something in funk and disco, you know, things that are, you know, kind of more black music forms. Let's say, you know, uh, that's a crass <laughs> term to use, but that's you know, like, like it could a, be a, that a, there is a some dance thing, maybe right for dance. Dancing. <clears throat> dancing and and funk makes me think of maybe some funk drum. Oh yeah, definitely funk. Yeah, funk drums, yeah. yeah. Because Absolutely. it's good for dancing, right? Yeah, yeah. Chaka <laughs> Khan too. Uh, what is? Uh, yeah. Tell me something good. Tell me something good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I think so, it's a it's a dance music. So, so that that's the Stones, um, which I I really like. I like. Yeah, I enjoy that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's. Uh, 
I was kind of surprised to find it wasn't on the record, which I don't know very well. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a bit. I'm, 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 I'm funny about the Stones. It's like I can't listen to a whole album of the Stones. I've tried many times, and I can't. But your favorite to is Satanic of... Majesty's Request, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I can listen to I can listen to a, a, a playlist of tunes I like by the Stones for two hours. Mm, but but an, album, an album, I find the album so uneven a lot of the time that I have they, trouble. They, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm no expert. No, no, no. they Certainly also the did not no the the, the the only album that they did that really was a sort of a concept album was that one you hate. Mm. Most, I mean, they did like if and like, I don't hate all of it. Yeah, like two thousand light years from all of them. Right, but but I mean, like like just most of their albums. It's almost like I don't they, even hate it. I just think it's it's. It's just sort of dreadful. It's like it, I I I went to Wikipedia to look and find like what the hell is going on with this record and and uh, and uh, Wyman hated it, hated working. He's on that. the only hated one working he, on that. Yeah, they, it also something to do with the recording studio sessions. He didn't like yeah. the uh, the producer. That's it. The whole process. And the, yeah, here's something the, he didn't the, like. The the process right. of like people coming in with uh, with ten people in their like Mick would come in with ten people in his entourage and take four hours to start singing anything. Uh, and right, just, Wyman was all take, pissed take, off, like I want to play my riff or whatever. Chaos, like, yeah, chaos. yeah, chaos. yeah. But but the other because that that that's their stand, their Satanic Majesty's request or whatever. That's a very unusual album by yeah. the Rolling Stones. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's almost it almost like if you were to subtract one album that was like they it's just totally something that they didn't really do that wasn't really them. In some, I don't know if that makes any sense. We should but, listen to that whole record. Sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get but, together and listen yeah. to that entire record. But but I wanted I wanted to say about the Stones that they I, I think they never fully adapted to the change that happened in the sixties that you know, they, like this this change, you know, in the fifties there was it was all singles and then they would just get a bunch of singles and put them all together. And Phil Spector had this great line, you know, um he, he hated albums. Phil Spector just wanted to produce a great song a tune you know something that people would listen to on the radio or yeah. something and he had this thing he would say that album he hated the transition to album rock in the late 60s and early 70s that you know the kind of the pink floyd started with sergeant pepper i think was probably the first hugely popular concept record where every song is connecting to the next song there's the, and there's a story being told throughout the album i'm i'm, I'm waving my hand in that sort of <laughs> rocking motion that says eh. maybe not it's I, what, it's not really notice, i don't think anybody really believes it's a concept album it was kind of supposed to be a concept album that they abandoned well, I, they look, abandoned the concept it, it was uh, the first on. one. I mean, like if you compare it to some Pink Floyd album from the seventies or something that's got a flow to it, then it's nowhere near as Pink coherent. Floyd. Yeah, Pink Floyd, right? But on the other hand, if you compare it to an Elvis Presley record from a few years before right. or something, you know, it's way more coherent one to the other. Now, I, I still think that the Presley records are are just as good. Yeah, just to be yeah. clear. But interestingly, yeah. uh, I saw I watched something that posited that the first concept album was. Uh, uh, Frank Sinatra. Oh, wow. What was it? Songs for Lovers. Not Songs for Lovers. Something about the night. In the heat, in, uh, in the still of the night, maybe. Wow. That's the name of the record. And it's all these... The love, heat of the all night. These, in, uh, no, no. I don't think so. No, okay. We'd have to look it up because wow. I don't know Sinatra very well. But they say that that's, that's, that's kind of considered to be the first concept huh. album where all and, of the... Uh, there was the theme that ran right. through every... Song, but, but maybe it was just everything had the same theme. It wasn't like a concept, like a story, but it was like a concept in that 
all the songs had the same theme. Amazing. And of course, and, being in a totally different genre. I mean, like Sinatra. Yeah, that's it. It's not right. Yeah. It's not what you, you think. When you think right. concept album, yeah, you, you don't you think Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. So you I think Fleetwood Mac or the role, uh, you know, uh, the, the Beatles or whatever. Yeah. But the Stones, I, the Stones always, right to this day, to, even though they're old, they still kind of claim they just want to do the original sort of blues types. Even though they went off in all kind of directions Thank doing goodness. disco. No, you know what I mean. But there, there was a there was a part of the Rolling Stones that said, you know what, all these things are fads, and they're the you know we should stick to, you know, just doing down home blues rock and roll that we loved when we were growing up. And so I think that the the, the, the their albums are you know m the one thing i've heard about their albums is sometimes there are certain commonalities to all the songs like let it bleed apparently yeah every song on there has some reference to something to do with blood like there's somewhere in the lyrics that's the oh, only okay. thing that links all those things together oh, there's no there's no coherence otherwise right so they they didn't really do um they didn't really do that and and i love phil specter's line i don't know if you know his line about albums he, he said you know most of them are you know two hits and 10 pieces of junk right which is which if you listen to that a might lot be what like, he would put out as an album but i think there are a lot of records i mean Jimi hendrix's first album yeah stellar right but, all but, the way through 1967 but, there's not a bad cut yeah but on, he only on had a few he only lived to be 27 so he doesn't have that well many albums, right one so. in, uh access bold is love also a very good album yeah. uh electric ladyland fantastic album uh uh the Band of Gypsies, there's two, and then there's a, about three posthumous records. So we had so about, about seven. There's about eight records, yeah, three, three, lot, two or three which were posthumous. Considering he, he died at the age of 27, that's a huge output. Uh, but, I mean, you know, like I'm not saying that there – look, I, I there are really good concept albums, and they do exist. I'm yeah. not saying – But, but, I, but I, they weren't concept albums, really. No, no, just, but just there just are albums. great albums. But I, and, and, the, and every Rolling Stones album has – like all of the songs are great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible you don't like listening to them in that order or something right but it, it's almost impossible to find a stones album where there's like there are some that have some bad songs but most of them like there are fantastic but i think specter's point is more that really if you like rock and roll music at its base is a three-minute phenomenon and you know and that he I went on you know i, I think uh, i think that's kind of a regressive concept yeah that's more my view but i think he was a regressive guy well he was uh a, well he's somewhat of a when you say regressive, you mean his the uh, fact I, that he nearly murdered people in the studio? No, no, and no, no. I just did coke I just, and fired a gun off in the roof of the studio. I, I mean, <laughs> All uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, 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 you mean musically regressive? I think his stuff sounds uh, 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 kind of. Uh, uh, put it? He preferred mono to stereo. That's one, perhaps you could consider that to be regressive, right? He forget yeah. I said anything. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question because I, he. I, I have to listen to more of his stuff, but uh, it's. I don't think that. Uh, uh, I think he thought in very small packages, right? So he he couldn't imagine, like, if he were to try and make a larger package, he, he wouldn't couldn't be able do, to it. do it. That's possible. Yeah. That's certainly uh, possible. So it's maybe. I think his maybe his statement is self serving. It could be, yeah. but but I think he's also making a comment that personally I would agree with. You may disagree. Is that you know rock and roll, you know popular music did. When get, did he say that? Uh, it, I'm not. It's a good question. That I don't know. Because it could have been. Much. It could have been true for the at the time he said it. Maybe, in but the by the time 1968 comes around. 1968, well, 69. I mean, you had bands that were turning out some amazing records, like really 
amazing from beginning to end. But I, th I think part of is that the record, the album became the standard and then it didn't. And so let's see, it used to be the single was the standard. So what happened yeah. with a lot of bands? I mean, not you're talking about Jimi Hendrix. What if you take April Wine? I mean, all due respect to April Wine, great Montreal band and everything. They put an album together. It's probably going to be half of them are going to be junk by could, comparison, right? Be. Because and the reason they're putting the album out is because they're trying to they're trying to fill an album. Right. Yes. And and then and this was an experience I love to tell my students about is that when we were growing up, we all bought albums. At least I did. Yeah. So you'd go and you'd, you'd hear a song you love and you'd be all happy, and then you'd go to the record store and you'd buy the album. The rest of it was you hated it. It was it, it was the horror. Often it happened to me a lot. Yeah. I remember coming home and going, "Man, this is most of these I would never listen to again." I might know? not have been very discriminating as a. <laughs> Maybe I was too discriminating. As a young person. All right. So that's The Stones. Um, this inspired... I like that too. Yeah. Me, I, did, I do like it. Me too. I, I love it. Um, but I, I, I definitely noticed the lyrics, and the lyrics were the thing that I took my next tune from. Okay. Uh, okay. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. To the lyrics. Okay, because I, I don't even know half the lyrics to that Stones. It's one of those songs that I don't even really. It's just something about how he, she's narcissistic or yes. something. I don't she's really, you know, narcissistic. Something like that's kind of what he seems to be saying. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, because the Stones. It's a bit like that. Uh, you're so vain. In, in, you unless, know? unless, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. She's, enough she's about me. Is, what she's are the you? The one who's narcissistic. Enough about me. What are you? I'm think gonna walk me? out of here like a king. Yeah. Well, no, but but um, the, the the Stones when they do great lyrics like "Sympathy for the Devil," they're oh, incredibly right. good, right? But a lot of times they're like this, like yeah, this, this, this throw, so divine. There's a throwaway lyric song. It's not really. Um, so that, I like the melody though. It's not even much of a melody, but I really like it. Yeah, yeah, it's mostly one note. So okay, so so the lyrics inspired you to send back Fiona Apple yeah. fast as you can. Yeah, not the music. Interesting. So, did you want to set some things uh, up? Yeah, no, it wasn't about the music. Although there might be something in there uh, uh, that that I, I can you connect were to. Into. But it's, to it's totally about the about the lyrics, and it's this is uh, lyrics about a woman who who's admitting that she's dangerous, and you better run. Like you think you know how dangerous I am? You have no idea. You better run. <laughs> Uh, so I just love the idea That's that great. this is like totally the inverse of the previous one, you know. Uh, so it's, what it, does she say? Uh, uh, I I think it's sweet. You know, think you know how crazy I am? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> something, something like that. <laughs> well, well, a couple of things I had note down about this. Th this song is very um, fast and powerful and jumpy, and I mean jumpy in a good sense. It has this. It's dri uh, driving. It's driving sort of a power. It also has a lot of different elements that slow down and then speed up again yeah, that are it's very got a, it's got a, complicated. Yeah, it's got a, right? a different tempo se a second section. It's got a chorus part that's yeah. very slow, and then it goes back to the yeah. fast, upbeat thing, which is very interesting yeah, in, yeah. in the construction. It's a great, it. yeah, great. Uh, um, so I noticed the music much more. I didn't even notice that now that you're mentioning the, the lyrics. The lyrics are hilarious. <laughs> the lyrics are hilarious. She's, I mean, she writes quite a few songs like that about... Uh, that she's incapable of uh, having a having a, a relationship. relationship and, Interesting. And it's yeah, she, wow. that she's just dangerous. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's that's very self-aware in some senses, and perhaps sad at the same time because you yeah. wonder how actualized she's going to be. Some right? of the stuff is kind of tragic. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's give it a listen.
I let the beast in too soon I don't know how to live without my hand on his throat I fight him always and still Oh darling, it's so sweet You think you know how crazy, how crazy I am You say you don't spook easy You won't go, but I know And I pray that you will
Okay, so a very, we were just saying, very up, upbeat, yeah. powerful tune. I One of the things I noticed was you mentioned before listening that um, you chose it mainly for the lyrical. Yeah, that was right? the springboard for my Right, my and, and listening to it here now and just and it, right after hearing the Stones 10 minutes ago, and I think it's really similar in there's all these instruments doing different things, and it's very, it's, true. it's more complex than the Stones song, in fact. Um, I there's more, uh, yeah, more layers, definitely more. And, and yeah, it's more uh, uh, expansive. The, I mean, the keyboard parts at some points, I'm sure there's four keyboards going, and they're all playing things that are sort of independent of one another they're not really uh, they're not following along no the line. They're, yeah. they're, it's not and the keyboard the, each keyboard doesn't do the same thing uh, in the next you know uh, four Stands bars up, yeah. after four bars it does something different so it's impro improvisatory there's yeah a lot of imp there's it, a lot of improvisation going on on the keyboards at the very least you, you could you could forgive me because my musical knowledge is not very good but it sounds very jazzy to me you know, I wonder yeah, what my maybe, father would think of that. He's actually my father. Actually, he is a real jazz musician. He yeah, there's. I guess there's that. a certain sort of jazziness to it. Uh, I'm sure she listens it's got a to jamming it. quality. You know how like when you hear jazz musicians jamming, it sort of got that. It got it has a swing to it. Certainly the that middle section. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's swinging. Uh, swinging. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, the, the, what one of the things I noticed as a lot of I, people say music sounds jazzy when I don't hear jazz. Right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the word jazzy it doesn't have much to do with jazz. Like I wonder, like I could be talking about something else that I'm not even aware of, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's improvisatory, so that's something. Like right. uh, I guess a jazz lot of musicians. rock music doesn't have a lot of improvisation. It has a solo, but it doesn't have a lot of improvisation. The Stones are an, an exception. The Stones sound improvise very improv a lot. Uh, impro yeah. improvisatory. Apparently, Dwayne Allman would play every single of the Allman Brothers. Every single guitar solo that you hear on those albums, if you saw them live, no. it was note for note. That's no. what I heard. No, I, I read that somewhere. Because I, 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 I think I, I told to you check, this. I had to check is that. Is that not true? I don't true? know the almonds yeah. very well. But Speaking no, of non-improvisation, but no. I, is it, no. it's not true. So that's fact-checked, not not yeah, true? Not gotta, true. Okay. At least All the right. little re research I did. Okay. I mean, a lot of the times in a tune, they'll have um, certain sort of key phrases that they might go to at a certain point, uh, which function like a cue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or uh, just are maybe a phrase that's so so strong that they want to end sixteen bars. You know, they want to end right. The, Keep it within, with that, yeah. within uh, yeah. End on that phrase and then begin a new new idea. So sometimes they might have a phrase which functions as the 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 the, the germ for the new idea that they're going to improvise on for the next sixteen bars. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, he did not play the same. So okay, yeah, yeah. But he might have had certain phrases that are are. Uh, repeated from Previous. performance performance right. to performance that may that maybe that maybe the myth started just because there were certain things that would that, that he would do similarly from show to show yeah and maybe some I, people watching it were like hey it sounds like they saw the previous show in I indianapolis or something and they're like hey he's playing i'll have to way. look more carefully but yeah. it, it sound that sounds to me totally anathema to the to, aesthetic of the group is that right okay oh, yeah. that's interesting yeah, okay yeah, yeah I, i'm not sure where i read that it was one of those things that i heard somewhere and i read i remember and it, it, i thought it was incredible source but it could be it i'm embarrassed like to say that i can't uh, yeah. verify that but, okay but, but um, uh, so to return to the uh to the fiona apple one of the things I, I noticed in this especially on this listening and just the listening yesterday before getting ready for this is it has this improvisational lurching thing going on that's really sort of intense and the, and the drums are really fast and it's got this kind of offbeat pushing driving nature yeah and then all of a sudden 
it slows down and turns into this romantic, beautiful yeah. section, which is so beautiful, you know, um, which is so in contrast. In it switches senses. from 4-4 four, four to 3-4 for one thing. Sometimes, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. You're right. Yeah, you're right. But the tempo does. But it's it's not it's not necessarily the change from four four to three four. That'll do a lot. That's true. That's that's a great point. But I don't mean to to because the 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 four four. You're not counting four. It's really like on the one one two three one two three and then the other ones. So it's only the one. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, mm. so that's a that's something I hadn't noticed. But you're right. One of the things I've noticed with three four, it seems like three four is really good for a few things. One is waltzes or all three or four, all, right? They're all, all three four. four. <laughs> so that's a kind of a dancing thing. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed is a lot of very romantic. You mentioned romantic. Yeah. There's a song by the Cars called Drive. Yeah. Which is a very slow, beautifully romantic song. Yeah. Who's gonna drive you home? Oh yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah, and, and that's boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. It's in four, though, isn't it? Well, no, but it's one, two, three, and then... Psh, boom, uh, boom, boom, psh, six, boom. Well, that's actually three. That's uh, six, eight. Like, one, okay, so it's a six, eight. But it's it's very romantic. That's in four. But it's got this... syncopated. But it's got this one, two, three. It's got this... Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Right, which is very romantic sounding. Yeah. It gives this very. It's just where the accents. Are. It's it's got this luscious, and and I think something like that may be happening with this. There's a, it switches to a much softer, more feminine, romantic thing, right? And it's got to do. I I think the rhythmic structure plays a role in there, but no question. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is I, I don't. Yeah, the cars is just a syncopated thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, it's boom, uh, boom, boom. It's just syncopated. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. It's a bass drum, in fact. Da, boom, da, boom, da, boom. And then he hits the snare. Da, yeah. Da, da, so that's the one right, right there. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's in four, yeah. but it's just yeah. One, three, so, but the, but the, it, it, but it's even on the end of three. That it, uh, it technically it's four four, but it does use a three. It goes one two three and then something right. One two three. Uh, not right? really. One uh, two three. Not really. No, it's it's just a syncopation. I, right. I could write it out. But just the bum bum bum. That's three. Yeah, it was one. Bum bum bum. Bum bum bum. Right, like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's three against, but it's against four. So yeah. yes, it is. It is a one two. Yeah. Three. So is is it is it too much to say that using three in music can can some maybe in some cases help something sound more soft and romantic and feminine because it seems to do it here with the Fiona Apple and maybe with the cars I don't know if it flow I mean certainly uh, stuff in in uh, three four or six eight flows in a certain way it has a more languid feel especially I mean four is boxy you know? yeah it's, very, <laughs> yeah. it's square you know? four is a square <laughs> literally yeah. Uh, yeah, three yeah. is more languid. It has more uh, flowing. Push. It flowing. has a little bit more push. It's just got more of a push to it, I guess. A lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, By the way, yeah. good word, languid. Yeah. yeah, languid. That's a that's a nice word. I think it works well here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It's a little res respite from the yeah uh, from the, <laughs> the four four all the dominance all the nervous yeah. er and nervous energy too. That running around nervous energy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I always I always see running. I, I love you say that because we both were sort of looking at each other with with the, in this Fiona Apple song, this very powerful, it's very like you know fast, and 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 we both imagine something running. So you're picturing something running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very sort of it's, Forward, it's, it's a lot of forward momentum. It's like hyperventilating in yeah. a certain way. It feels hyperventilating, yeah. and I pictured a, a mouse running through some kind of a maze, like the panic. You know how like a, a, a gerbil or something. You know. Yeah. <laughs> switching directions. Yeah, yeah you're switching directions switching all the time. Directions. I see the same yeah. thing. It's yeah. running and switching directions. Right. Something, yeah. something like that. And also the fear, the terror that that rodent must be feeling, oh, right? Yeah. That that you know is it, present in the music. And somehow. she's yeah. advising the guy he, he ought to feel. <laughs> she's telling him to be that gerbil, yeah. like get in the maze and run away. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Fast as you can. Fast run as fast as you can. Yeah. So that that's that's really cool. So, um, yeah, I don't know too many songs that have that kind of a theme. Where they, <laughs> what were they saying? I think it's I think it's sweet. You you think you know how crazy I am, but you better run. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea. It's like the opposite. It's not you. It's me. It's kind of like it's not me. It's you, right? It's kind of like there's somehow there's something flipped around. There is something counterintuitive about what she's doing that is very yeah. unusual. Yeah. To especially because. She's, great. She's, she's a great lyricist, a really, really, very, very good lyricist. Because the sense I got from those lyrics and from this song is that she's not saying this to a man that she does not want to be with. She's saying it to a man who she actually may have a lot of feelings for. That's, Could be. Right? That's kind it's of... A, so there's a tension. Yeah, status. there's a tension of like, I know you really like me, I really like you, but this, you know... <laughs> I'm difficult. Yeah, there's a, right. a line, one line yeah. I really love in that is, I, I may be soft in your palm, but I'll soon go hungry for a fight and I will not let you yeah. win. <laughs> and the way she sings that, that there's a... This, that, and I will not let you win, which is like, I it drives me crazy. It's a yeah. tune I know from my childhood as a taunt. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's like that kind of thing. I don't yeah. know where it comes from, but it's a taunt tune. There's a taunting, not like schoolyard quality. It's definitely some tune which is a taunt, and I can't remember what it is. But it it evokes kids, children, kind of taunting each other, right? You know, kind of testing each other, pushing each other's limits. Childish. Childish. Yeah, yeah. So that's really interesting. She she's an artist I'm very unfamiliar with. Yeah, I just got introduced to her last year, but totally by accident, and she has a. This album is stellar, this particular album, yeah, and, and okay. the, the one after the next one. This is her second album. Her fourth album is also So that's, that's excellent. what, 90s, I guess. 99. 99, yeah. Because she blew up really big at one point. Amazing. I remember when she got really big around that time. And I, they even spoofed her on South Park and stuff. There was they did, jokes eh? about her. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I I remember that because she was big. She was like I thought she was a folk artist from her name. So I never. I actually right. Yeah. Never listened to her. Terrible name. For, I think <laughs> Fiona Apple. I mean, it's like what? It's just weird. But she sort of makes me think a little bit of Alanis Morissette. Like she kind of rocketed up around the oh, yeah. turn of the century, and then kind of has not. You know, Alanis Morissette still her, around. Her album. Her, her her album from the. She puts out an album about every seven years. Okay, She's interesting. Not prolific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and her album that came out last year or the year before is uh, considered a five star album. It's okay. critical. Critic yeah. The critical acclaim for that record is uh, unanimous. That it's like one of the best records of the year. 
I'm so so on that record. There's some good stuff on it, but mm-hmm. this is my favorite record. Yeah, and so that's more of second, you said, right? Second record. Yeah. Okay. So listeners can go. I'm. Yeah. She she's definitely. Um, I'm learning respect for her. Let's say from that and from some other stuff I've heard. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a so, nice discovery. I, yeah. So um, so this actually concludes the predetermined part that we planned together. So now what we're going to do is... It was all songs, too, wasn't it? No instrumental music. Yeah, that's true. Do you that's listen to instrumental music? I do. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the, the reggae stuff I was telling you about, the dub stuff I was telling you about before we started recording um, is from a lot of Studio that One. That whole thing I have in my car, that thing I just happens to be, there's not a single, it's got some sort of like scatting type, you know, sort of humming type lyrical stuff, but no okay. words per se. And a okay. lot of great so dub reggae. Voice as an instrument. Yeah, okay. exactly. So what we decided to do was we were going to move on, and I have chosen something that this Fiona Apple uh, tune sort of inspired me to. Okay. Uh, and, and then um, after we I do. I have no idea what it is. Yeah, that's right. So the, you're, you're going to respond completely on the fly. Um, after we do this, you'll choose one, and then um, we'll close it out. I've got something I want to do at the very end. But So what I chose was Les Colocs, You know that song? Nope. It was, it was a huge hit in about 1998. Okay. Uh, I in, might recognize Yeah, you probably Quebec, will. Quebec. Uh, Quebec, yeah. Mon- Montreal. Uh, the 98. I, yeah, late 90s. And this song was Probably a massive a... hit oh, all God. over the radio, and mostly in French. And I, and I was, at that time, I was really interested in a lot of French language stuff. So I bought the album. I loved the album. It's a great album. He, uh, you know, listeners who, um, this is um, a, a local um, French-Canadian artist uh, called André Fortin. Dédé Fortin was his nickname. And he, um, I'm sure you're aware he had a very sad ending. He committed suicide about no, in, in the year 2000. He it's a terrible. He just he was this he was this great musician. He could play many instruments. He wrote lyrics. He was and he had this band. This band was huge at that time, from like sort of mid 90s up to in, around the time he committed suicide. They huh. were very big in, in French Canada, and this song was a massive hit all over the radio. Okay. And um, it's it's a very unusual song. You'll hear this right away. It's got a reggae beat. Um, it has the other thing that's interesting about it for, to be such a huge hit is it actually has very. Um, a complex um, sort of introspective, almost a Dostoevsky-like introspection about feeling um, pain for abandoning a friend at, at a critical moment and all, and talking about how, you know, you know, I'm a coward of cowards, you know, I left you alone and all this kind of stuff. The lyrics, I mean, the lyrics, I knew most of them from listening and actually to prepare for this, I actually went and read them just to make sure I understood. And some, they actually made even more sense, even deeper than I had imagined, which okay. makes me think that's, and there's also a chorus in some sort of an African language, like Wolof. David Fortin brought together all kinds of different musical influences. Oh, yeah. One of the guys in the band was from Belgium. Okay. He was an immigrant from Belgium. Another guy was an Anglo from Saskatchewan who I had some friends. I met him a little bit. I kind of knew them. Um, so it's a very tight band. There's a harmonica. There's a bunch of things going on there. I'm really kind of curious to know what you're going to think about it. And okay. Maybe our listeners will enjoy it too. So, okay. So here it is. Let's go look for it. Yeah.
Pensez-vous de là, il faut que je voie mon chum Ça fait longtemps que je l'ai pas vu, il était parti, il était pas là La dernière fois que j'ai parlé, son cœur était mal à manger Sa tête était dans un étau, il était pas beau Il y avait de la coke dans les yeux, il y avait de l'héros dans le sang Il y avait tout son corps qui penchait par en avant Il y avait le goût de vomir, il y avait envie de mourir Qu'est-ce qu'on fait dans ce temps-là, moi j'avais le goût de m'enfuir Je l'ai laissé tout seul au bord de la catastrophe Pardonne-moi, pardonne-moi, j'ai pas voulu, j'ai pas voulu Pas voulu t'abandonner dans le moment le plus rare Je suis le lâche des lâches, pas le tof des tof C'est d'avoir ton visage ou de t'entendre crier Avec ta voix immense et ton cœur qui explose Aidez-moi, aidez-moi Moi je fais mon chemin dans la foule en espérant qu'une chose C'est d'avoir ton visage ou de t'entendre crier J'en ai plein mon casque mais c'est pas encore l'overdose Aidez-moi, aidez-moi Pensez-vous de là, il faut que je voie mon chum Ça fait longtemps que je l'ai pas vu, il était parti, il était pas là La dernière fois que j'ai parlé, son cœur était mal à manger Sa tête était dans un étau, il était pas beau Il y avait de la coke dans les yeux, il y avait de l'héros dans le sang Il y avait tout son corps qui penchait par en avant Il y avait le goût de vomir, il y avait envie de mourir Qu'est-ce qu'on fait dans ce temps-là, moi j'avais le goût de m'enfuir Je l'ai laissé tout seul au bord de la catastrophe Pardonne-moi, pardonne-moi, j'ai pas voulu, j'ai pas voulu Pas voulu t'abandonner dans le moment le plus rare Je suis le lâche des lâches, pas le tort des tort
Okay, so um, I did not recognize that. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, it looked like you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, I I I'm so I, I I love that song. It's like one of I was telling you off mic that you know Les Colocs for me I can't find bad music by them. I mean they're like one of these bands that just you how know much, how much did they release? Not that much. I mean probably kind of like in the realm of Jimi Hendrix. If they were only together throughout the 1990s until Fortin um, committed suicide very tragically, he just. Yeah, so listeners, some listeners may know this, but he, he 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 suffered greatly from a lot of depression throughout his life. He had, um, and that seems to be a feature in a lot of French Canadian music. Oh yes, there's a there's a kind of a pain and a deep depression type in a lot. Have you ever heard Plume La Traverse? Sounds familiar. Yeah, he was a blues guy from the 70s and 80s who does this, and he has these lyrics, and also he has this great. He's kind of like a John. What's that John? Uh, that blues singer has that graspy voice dr john it's kind of like that raspy but and and he has this his lyrics often have these beautiful painful kind of things and and Dede fortin his lyrics too i mean in this he's talking about he has this great friend who was you know, suffering this crisis and everything and he you know all drugged up and messed up and and he 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 he's sort of admitting Sadly, that he he was too he was too weak to stay and help his friend, and he took off and left and all this stuff. And he hasn't seen his friend for a long time; doesn't know if he's still alive. Basically, you know, okay. there's a lot of this pain and suffering in that. And I find that sort of a feature in French Canada that there's a deep there's a lot of humor, yeah, in and, and then there's a lot of deep pain and suffering in a lot of the music that is. I, I don't mean that to be a bad thing. It's not. It's it's well expressed. It's I mean, yeah. well, it's like a lot of the it's great a, blues a, music too. Yeah. Like you know, the Delta blues stuff is talking about deep things that right. Yeah. So I hear that in this. I, I don't know what your reactions were musically. I, I think there's for some reason it it uh, made me think of the musicians in town here who would come out of the punk scene in the in the late more let's say the through the eighties and what they ended up doing in the nineties. I think sounds maybe like this it was just uh somehow it uh sort of when i thought of it as local music i thought of right. where did these musicians right. come from and there was something uh in, in the spirit there that sounded like it came a bit from the punk scene that, that could well be i mean fortin i was in his late 30s when he died in about the year 2000 2001 so he was probably born in the early 60s so it's quite and i know that he grew up in lac saint uh Saguenay, lac saint jean but he was he came to montreal at a very young age so because yeah, uh, the, it's the quite scene was a big thing. Here. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And listeners, by the way, could go listen to Chris Berry. I don't know if you listened to that interview. Yeah, yeah. Like the the, the man who single handedly built the punk scene in Montreal, at least according to him, right? Well, <laughs> you know, which is probably true. Claim that 
quite claim that. But he, he, well, he, he, no, he didn't. No, he was he, there at the. Well, he built Station Ten, which was a big cl well, yeah, punk club. Right, downtown, he was the first right? one to have bands come and play there. Right, that's it. Yeah, the, the bar was <coughs> open. He had his band play there. Guess, but, right? but you, you, yeah, I mean that that's an interesting observation yeah. that that perhaps he's a great, story. He's a great storyteller. Oh man, he's, <laughs> he's he's one of these guys, man. And I love the way this he, is not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing something different here. But I love the way he he sort of openly <laughs> um, um, self-aggrandizing. Like he told me when he he did that 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 podcast with me and everything, and we wrapped it up. And then and I was he was getting ready to leave my place, and I said I said yeah, you know maybe we could do a second one or whatever. And he said yeah, well you know any chance I get to talk about myself, Jason, I'm not, right. I'm gonna be down with that, you know. And but anyway. This uh, Dede Fortin, he, he passed away at the very beginning of this century, um, and he had been suffering from a lot of depression, um, you know, throughout that period. And he committed suicide by the Japanese method. Oh, so okay. Yeah, the, the Harry, was it Harry Curry, where they use a knife to sort of dis... Oh, it's just, you can imagine how painful that must be. Uh, to, you know, so he did that. And from what I've heard through some people I know who know a lot about him some francophone friends of mine he had been trying to get help for a really severe depression oh. really yeah big and he he's very interesting musically he he played guitar he played drums he sang he wrote music he, apparently drums were his favorite what, thing. what did he play in this band uh in this band he often when you see him on stage he has a guitar so he got up and he sang he fronted but apparently he loved playing the drums that was his thing he he enjoyed that and on some of, i think some Koluk stuff he does play the drums play the drums on them i'm not sure about this that's the great know. thing about recordings so you don't have to do what uh, you don't have to have the role that you have on stage right <laughs> yeah you sort of liberate you can do that. yeah you can do the other stuff and i guess it depends on the nature of your band but yeah uh, some bands i guess are like that where people can move around a bit and they're not restricted to their yeah restricted to one instrument it, it seems like a, like a, we were talking about that we started the podcast with uh, brian jonestown massacre and yeah. that that's a guy who sort of plays everything right? yeah Anton Newcomb, yeah you can he, i, I can never know. be sure when i'm listening if if he's playing everything or not you know? yeah i mean it's and, and fortin seems to be that kind of a person now I've, I've heard i've heard recently some things about how apparently there's a lawsuit going on from one of the other members of the band who claims that he actually wrote all the songs. This is in the news in French Quebec, right? Or it was, it has been in the news. I'm not sure how recently I heard this from a close friend of mine who is more connected with That's, the Francophone. Nothing breaks up a band like uh, songwriting uh, yeah, royalties. Royalties, yeah. So there's that. And some other interesting things. So, you know, so this is very, it's it's in in the lyrical sense, it's it's connected to a long French-Canadian tradition. Right. Of, right, you know. Um, on the other hand, musically, it's extremely unusual. I mean, it's it, it's got reggae. And the other interesting thing is that there's a chorus in this African, which language I believe is Wolof, which I, I think is Cameroonian or Senegalese, but I'm not okay. exactly sure. And that's something I just wanted to say. It's it's very unusual for a song like that that is it got these depressing lyrics and a reggae beat with an African chorus line and all this to be a number one hit on the radio. Is that is that me or is that something Maybe. that it's, I, I, it I don't does know? Sound like a little bit all over the map. Yeah. Well, it just seems like it's not a typical pop song that no. would be, if you listen to, I, mean, I listen to a lot of French language stuff on the radio, and I hear a lot of pop, you know, uh, Marie May, for example, I don't know if you know her, she's a well-known French-Canadian, you know, pop singer, you know, and it's all just sort of poppy, kind of like, 
Madonna-esque type stuff, and she's very attractive and stuff, you know. Okay. And she's a number one star in Quebec, right? Okay. No, at least no she was. Either. She this is she's not that's mm -hmm. recent. Marie May. Marie nope. May. Nope. So I mean, like I, I just I'm somewhat impressed. I don't know if I'm bragging a little bit about our province of Quebec to have that as a hit song, I think is something to be a little bit proud of. Right. I think. I don't know. Um, I, I've been I didn't know it was going to go into that reggae beat. It starts out with a harmonica that sounds like the introduction to the old gray whistle test. And then when the guitar comes in, it's, you can't tell where the one is. And I thought it sounded kind of bluesy, but then as soon as the, uh, maybe it's the bass that comes in or the drums and you realize the guitar is not on the one and, oh, we're in, we're in a reggae beat here. Okay. <laughs> So it's sort of uh, nice. I was disoriented for the first little bit, which is is always nice. Yeah, well, it's it's it's, throw, it's throwing a curveball. It strikes yeah, me like if that. you haven't heard it before, like, it's like what's what? Yeah, <laughs> what's happening? I like here? where it takes you a while to figure out where you are. Yeah, and then it, but it does get oriented. Oh yeah, it gets very oriented and very. Um, what else musically just that, that struck you? Because that's a great observation about the beginning. You know. Um, didn't strike me as terribly unconventional, but um, I mean, musically it was great. It was well played, and I just yeah, I, I found myself wondering where the musicians came from. What mm -hmm. was their uh, how, did they, how did they reach this music? Because it's it's the kind of thing that you learn, I guess. It's the chances that you live in Quebec that this is the the music that you grow up with when you're so tall is unlikely. This is something that you develop in you know as you as you're listening to to music and spreading out, getting influences from. Other elsewhere the, yeah other parts of the world so i was just curious yeah. i was yeah i was wondering where they're that's yeah that, that's a great question how I, they I, arrived at this because yeah it's not a tip it's not exactly a typical thing it's not it's not i don't think it's super unconventional but it's not it's not it's typical not, yeah it's not, no it, it's not super typical I, I think i think i if i if i were look i i would bet right now a hundred dollars or more that Dede Falkland listened to a lot of punk rock. Just just given his his generation and where you know and yeah. his general orientation drummer, about things, something, something about the know? drummer made me think that he played punk music. That I don't could know why. well, yeah, that's something I. Don't I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. There's no accounting for these things sometimes, and I could be totally wrong. Well, but yeah, just, well, there's also just the, the straight. I asked you when it was from, and the, the late the 90s. time seemed yeah. to fit if, yeah. the, if the musicians were of the same age. Yeah, that's, you know? it, that's interesting. Yeah, um, there's no question that I mean the music of the 1990s. I mean, just on a general level, did a lot of it developed out of punk rock. If you just think yeah. take the uh, iconic. 90s sort of the, the typical you know the grunge music nirvana right is sort of that that defined early on in the 1990s and that was almost an offshoot of the punk movement in yeah. some respects right so les colocs are in that generation and that vein yeah. of musicians yeah, yeah. right yeah. so it's I, I think it's a very interesting observation yeah anything else about it before we Move on to, okay, so now we're going to do, this is a totally on-the-fly pick, right? You're, you're, you're gonna, you're, the idea is you got to think of something. It's like I'm putting you on the spot here. Like, what, what, what does that remind it, you of? It yeah. made me think of something, uh, uh, which it doesn't particularly sound like, but it made me think of something that you might enjoy. Okay, well, would you like to name it and set it up for listeners? Or? Sure. It's yeah. uh, Rip Rig and Panic, which is a band from the... Uh, Maybe 1980, they're one of the post-punk bands in England mm -hmm. that uh, uh, brought in influences of jazz and uh, uh, reggae and all 
many, many different influences. Okay. Uh, and on this tune, there's a vocalist, a young Nana Cherry, who had a hit. Oh, yeah. Some years later. I like her. Seven or eight years later. Wow, but this is, yeah. she's about 16 years old on this. This is before. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, way, I like way before it. Buffalo Stance. Yeah. But uh, she has other stuff that's very good. I mean, she she was really yeah. good. Yeah. I, all I know of her yeah. is the stuff Buffalo in this stance. in this yeah. band in Rip Rig and Panic, and another yeah. band she was in called Float Up CP, which is just after Rip Rig and Panic. Okay, but yeah. I wasn't crazy about Buffalo Stance. Didn't do anything for me, and I didn't follow her. I after. loved it at the time. It was huge. Yeah, yeah but she's the daughter of the trumpet player Don Cherry, or the step, oh, yeah. stepdaughter of Don Cherry. Nina but, Cherry. Yeah, Nina Cherry yeah. from Buffalo Stance. Yeah. From the hockey guy, the no, loud... no, no, not the, the jazz Whoa. trumpet. Oh, okay, I thought Don you Ch- meant the... Don Cherry, who played, okay, who played, with, okay. who played with Ornette <laughs> okay. Coleman, All right. with Ornette Coleman. All from, right, like, not the guy who 19... yells racist things no, on no. on TV. No, Don <laughs> Cherry, the, the, the real Don Cherry, <laughs> okay. the trumpet playing Don Cherry uh, from, or, from the Ornette Coleman Quartet, and All right. leader leader of many bands in his own. Okay, in his own nice. Band. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, that Nina Cherry would have come out of that. Yeah. Don so Cherry. yeah, there's some then Don Cherry, the Canadian Don I, Cherry. I think there's footage of her when she was like four years old on stage with Don Cherry wow. and singing and stuff. Okay. Uh, What's so, the name of the song? Uh Storm the Reality Asylum. Storm the Reality Asylum. All right, here it goes.
that was really something, man. Yeah, glad you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you want to say some things about it? Because uh, I loved it. I thought it was they're part of the. Uh, there was a British, I guess, a movement just after the punk thing, or just after the, <laughs> after the Sex Pistols broke up. Kind of the. Uh, That's I don't British. Know. Yeah. That's British. Yeah. Nina Cherry's British? No. Okay, but she's American. The, okay, yeah, I thought well, I knew. I thought she was American. Yeah, the okay. rest of the band is. English. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's. I guess. I think okay. Bristol. I think they're mostly from Bristol. Okay. Um, but yeah, after the after, I don't know if you know Public Image Limited. Yeah, I remember that's John Lydon, the that's guy right. from the Sex Pistols. So yeah. there was I a, saw them at the Masonic Temple in Toronto in the nineteen eighties. Oh my! When I was God. Uh, what year? 86, 85, something like Pretty maybe 87, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that, that was been, a small club too, you know, Young Street, you know. Yeah. But uh yeah, <laughs> so there was a, like this post-punk thing uh where there was a lot more experimentation going on but the same kind of DIY attitude. Um uh so they were part of uh, this is a more poppy tune of theirs a lot of their other stuff is uh um much more improvisatory just off the cuff there they have like a bbc session where it wow. sounds like they're just basically making it up as they go along they go into well the that BBC. sounded like they were jamming a little uh, yes I yeah know. i mean all the yeah. trump the trumpet overdubs yeah. Don cherry was on that playing right. trumpet um so yeah the overdubs and stuff but i mean it had a, it had a form like a pop tune form and a lot okay. of their stuff doesn't have that kind of pop tune form it's more Interesting. expansive more uh, right loose right uh, yeah more, i mean what was that spontaneous was that well known did that chart that song like, it was might it, have i'm not sure yeah, it's an interesting I'm question sure. because it certainly does not i mean going back I think to, they're more a cult band yeah i mean it had more of a cult following than, right well it's interesting to to, to compare it to the daily fortin because to the to the Coloc thing because it's you know it's very unusual musically and disjointed in a very good way the same way that the Tossibud Blah is very kind of you can't really figure Heter out heterogeneous heterogeneous right and also the way you mentioned at the beginning it's like when it starts you're like what am I doing there's something I had that feeling at at the beginning of this like kind of there was a orientation issue that resolves itself yeah. Because after okay, now you know what's going on. It, yeah. it picks it up and lands exactly yeah. where it's supposed to. Yeah. yeah, which is really cool. So yeah, there yeah. there's a lot of improvisation in this group. Uh, yeah, I, I get the feeling a lot of their recordings, a lot of the stuff is just turn on the tape recorder just and hope for the best. Play, and, yeah, and they yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, we got two and a half good minutes here. Right, you know? <laughs> yeah, and we can so splice funny. that to to something else, or we will just turn it off. You know, just so it's kind of like a jam band. It's some but senses. it's yeah right. So, I mean, rock jam bands tend to jam on a um, on some kind of a repeated thing. theme. Yeah, uh, yeah, some kind of a like a series of chords or a riff or a. They don't really do that much. Uh, what are they doing that's different exactly? Oh, uh, this tune you wouldn't know from listening right. to this tune. But if I, I could just pick another tune at random after this and play it for you, and and I would hear it. And yeah. you would. Yeah. You would so it's. This. I mean, the archetypal jam band, of course, is the Grateful Dead. But they they usually did that live where they okay. just jam. Uh, jam right? like jamming. You know. <sighs> Uh, they would jamming never... in rock music is like formal. It's a formal thing. There's always a, some kind of a, almost always some kind of formal uh, structure that's being observed by the musicians as they go along. You know, it's like 
some 16 bar thing or something like that and it's usually some chords that repeat um, and they'll solo and the, over top of that right. so they're soloing on based on the chords you know you're, you're playing notes I and mean, the length the, just goes as long as it goes as many repeats as they right, want repeats, it's about re repetition right, right it's about repetition right, yeah not so with this band their stuff mm -hmm. is it, it starts somewhere and it ends somewhere else and they, there may be mm -hmm. no similarity between oh, what the first I 10 see. seconds sound like and the I last understand what you're something saying. totally different it's not based That's... on the like it's not based on the blues it's not based on kind of rock forms it's not based on the uh 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 yeah it's not based on that kind of thing exactly because the yeah i mean the typical blues and rock and roll music are in fact almost designed to be jamming like in the sense that the original yes, blues musicians vehicles they would sit on the porch of a house down in mississippi yeah. or whatever and just play and yeah. it would repeat and repeat and repeat oh okay now let's there's just a form it. there's yeah, a form and exactly. you're playing within the form right. but you play the form basically right. and, and sometimes you can stretch the form a little bit and break the form and and you know i heard once that the midnight rambler by the rolling stones yeah. was designed to go on stage and just kind of have start this, the music start and then just have this thing as that long will go as on want. for 20 minutes or yeah, 15 minutes absolutely you know, right and then yeah. come back and then it goes okay and then bring it's it a warm-up piece it's right. like something yeah to, it's something to get you started and to get everybody loosened up and it, uh, the repetition is a big part oil, of it but this group this um uh, rip rig and panic rip rig and panic they're not doing that. They're doing something no, quite different. No, they don't different. do that. I'll, I'll play yeah. something after this. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's going to sound quite different than this. Well, this that... Is, this I, is an atypical piece. Really? Okay. Yeah. But that <coughs> just sounded like a driving forward throughout the tune. It just yeah. kind of pushed in a certain direction. Yeah. I'm not sure about repetition, but it just seemed to kind of It had... It, was, it, it had you know. repetition. It had a rep, uh, yeah, there was repetition in the form. Right. Yeah. A couple of things I noticed. I mean, I, the, first of all, the bass line was really cool. I don't yeah. know who's playing bass, but that was something uh, that I noticed uh, that I liked. Uh, uh, I forget his name. Yeah. He's actually in Public Image now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So the he's a bass worries. player and the drummer are in Public Image now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, wait a minute. No, maybe not the bass player. The bass player might have died. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah the, 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 there's a funk feel like yeah. a funky feel to it that i like I, I was quite surprised when you mentioned it was a british group because i was sort of thinking these guys are like kind of like parliament or something like that was the, the sense i was getting from listening to that it was like hearing george clinton or something like that but um not james brown yeah it's definitely funky funky yeah. Yeah. right there's a, there's, ja yeah. there's a jazz there this has a jazz influence not just the don cherry is in it who's a, uh, a jazz amazing great. jazz player yeah but I, somehow it sort of reminds me of like some South African jazz, oh, interesting. Uh, which is very big in Britain. I mean, the, that the makes South sense African given the was, colonial ties between the two countries. South African right? yeah. jazz thing was yeah, that's interesting. Popular in Britain in the ex, in the experimental music scene, they were big. Wow, on that, yeah. So that's playing into this. That's I probably think so. it sounds like it to me. It right? sounds it sounds like it to me. So that's an indirect African rhythm because most most of the american and caribbean african rhythms the the blacks the descendant they are the descendants of people who came from nowhere near south africa right you know they came from places like angola and senegal and you know so there must have been different musical traditions because it's very very far away africa was not very unified ge right. geographically so the musical traditions of south africa i'm guessing must be very different from you know, Cameroon and, and Angola and Senegal. I guess the South African know, jazz right? was probably, uh, they had been listening to a lot of North American right. stuff. So there was an influence yeah. of the North American stuff, definitely on the South African stuff. 
But does it have any indigenous African elements, or is it? In so far as jazz does, uh, uh, yes, I guess it has more. Uh, um, um, the form is probably uh, uh, more uh, repetitious. It's more mm. based on a on a on a smaller form. It's not so much a. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know how to describe it. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't have a vocabulary for. Yeah, the, well, that's 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 really interesting. That there's there's kind of there's clearly some American influence there because it's yeah. it's American based music, yeah. right? But it's got this other thing from South Africa, which is also for rebounding because it's South Africans listening to American music and then going to the UK, right? Yeah. But this is amazing, different germination of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I guess uh, the reason I wanted to play for you was just the heterogeneity of it. Yeah, you know, in the same. Yes, it doesn't sound like the Kolo, but it's sim no, I, similarly I, heterogeneous. Yeah, no, I, I actually no, it doesn't sound like it, but I can totally understand why you would connect them because it's got this. It's just the Kolo song is so different as a you know it's just a very unusual piece with these different elements and stuff like that and that is too that's right yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just the uniqueness of it. Yeah. Good. Anything else about that? I'm just wondering. Uh, we, yeah. No, I can't. No. Right. much else I want to say about that. Okay. Um, so we're going to close it out. Right. So I, what I thought we would do at the end is just totally return to the the root of everything. Okay. So I was... The drum? You're going back to the drum? Well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, you'll see in a minute. But I was inspired listening to Joni Mitchell, the complex story of a Chuck Berry song that I love. And it's very short, too, which is good, called Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, and, and it has... Because that Chuck Berry, in many of his pieces, wrote these incredible narratives. Yeah. In, and in Memphis, Tennessee, there's a beautiful story that almost brings me to tears sometimes. It's so oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and also, the, I, musically, I just love Chuck Berry. I think he's... Um, he is... I mean, he is the father of rock and roll, which is why I love that this is at the end, because we're, it's sort of like a return to the person. I mean, if we are... If you are going to credit one individual as the father of rock and roll, is it fair to say it's Chuck Berry? Probably. I mean, you know, is, is it him or Bo Diddley, right? You know, uh, <laughs> right? He's, you know, it's like, these are not right? the kind of things I like to argue about. <laughs> exactly. It's a dumb <laughs> argument. But just to say that he, I mean, exactly. It's, it's a dumb, stupid argument anyway. But just Chuck Berry being, I mean, you know, every, when I listen to Chuck Berry playing the guitar, I hear like every other rock guitarist that came after him somewhere right. in, in one of their pieces. They, they all must have listened to him. There's yeah. something about his influence as a musician. Funny, I don't, I never listened to Chuck Berry. Really? Okay, well, we're going to listen to I know the tune. Yeah. I know the tune. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's amazing is that... I, I mean, I know a lot of his tunes, but I never put on a Chuck Berry tune. To oh, really? To. Yeah. Wow, Just interesting. Okay. Well, this is going to be, a, you know, something for you to do, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I'm interested in hearing the lyrics and how they might bring one to tears. Well, yeah, but the, the thing about the lyrics, too, the, there's a story of, 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 a, of two kids who were together as, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and they were ripped apart, and okay. a, you know, which is really a, sort of an eternal story that almost everyone has, yeah. you know, had that happen, you know, at some point in their lives. Many people have. But the other thing is um, that reminded me of the Joni Mitchell is is the there's evocative imagery in yes. the lyrics, right? He, the, he uses these things, you know, the... 
the bridge over the Mississippi River. My my uncle got a phone call and wrote the number on the wall. And last time I saw Marie, she she was waving me goodbye, and she had tears. Like so, you can when I listen to it, I can I can see these things in my mind. They look very blues imagery. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what I think it is. I think I, I remember an interview. It reminds once. me of Captain Beefheart's click clack. Right. Well, I, I I heard an interview once a long time ago with an old blues guy. It was some guy wasn't very well known. He was just some guy, and, and he's he's like, yeah, the music today. He was sort of complaining about the music. He's like, so, you know, the blues. The blues tells a story. He's like, the blues is a story. If you're if you're singing a blues song, it has to have a story. It has to have a beginning and a middle and an end. It's got to have a narrative to it. And I remember that I saw that like thirty years ago. I was like a teenager or something. I remember thinking that's there's something to that. And how does that connect to rock and roll exactly? Chuck Berry is doing that in this, and and maybe there's others. I mean, the Joni Mitchell seems to me there's not quite a narrative exactly, but there's evocative imagery right. through the lyrics that bring something to it. Yeah. But uh, okay, so let's give it a listen. Uh, 1959, Memphis, Tennessee, by Chuck Berry. Okay, so I got the impression you liked it. I love that. <laughs> it doesn't sound. I. I. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard that recording before. I think I must have heard many different live versions, but that one is. Uh, that one sounds uh, confused in all the right ways. Yeah, that's perfectly put. <laughs> I mean, it's confused. I, I. I love. First of all, back to the sparseness of how Charlie Watts plays. There's a sparseness to Chuck Berry. You know the the like for example the, the guitar solo we were talking about. 
off mic. It's like his guitar when he did a guitar solo. It's it's I think the slow. first note he played was wrong. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but just, it doesn't matter. It's great. It's, it's, it's so great. But that when he plays a solo, it's often very slow and methodical. If you listen to a lot of Chuck Berry's solos, they're but it's so amazing. It's sort of there's this plodding to it to, the, to his soloing that is. Just I'll have to amazing. listen to that again a few times. But he does it in it, a lot of his stuff. I, it, his it, guitar solos broke that's... my brain, and we had to rewind to the beginning after 15 right, seconds because yeah, I, I could not figure out where the one was supposed to be. And it seems like everybody's just playing something different. Like everybody's got kind of a different sense of the. Uh, of the the groove, like Yet the groove all. is is really mangled up. It's, but but it's all together. Oh, it's beautiful. That's just weird. Well, I don't find it's it? all together exactly. No, but it's it's it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I don't find it to be uh, uh, um, uh, coherent, super coherent or unified. Mm. But that it wouldn't. Maybe it's much more interesting. I think the recordings I've heard of this. It's there are more, more coherent. It's more right. coherent. It's the. It's yeah. like everybody agrees on where the where the pulse is, where the beats, you know, where the stresses are going here. Mm. It's like everybody's stressing different parts of the That's bar. It's really. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that was great. I really, really, really enjoyed that. That's cool. I mean, I, I wonder if um, Barry, like, like you wonder whether something like that could be accidental. It could just be that they, the technicians couldn't get the, the instruments together or something. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, because if know. you never 19, played it like that 19, again, right? In 1959, yeah. did these guys know how to play that right. music? It's, it's like <laughs> right. the music is nascent, right? <laughs> yeah. This is a nascent music. They're just trying it so out. So it's like, yeah. is this house? It's, I don't know. <laughs> Slide up the the bass, yeah. right? The bass was great. Oh man, that's the, the coolest great. thing. The sliding. I really, really, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to listen to that again. Yeah. yeah. So there's the soloing of the guitar, the bass, the sliding up of the bass, and you mentioned right at the beginning, and I think it's true that there is a kind of a reggae beat. It's because it's yeah, right. Right, it, we couldn't figure out if it was a reggae beat or the typical train. You know the, you know the Bo Diddley. What's that? Bo? It's Bo Diddley, right? Yeah, yeah. The train, the the Soul Train or whatever it was, right? There's something, and is there? Those two beats are somehow similar. I think the, the reggae beat and and the, the train it's just thing, displaced. Those, it's, yeah. yeah, you could do the same thing, but just displace it by by one beat. Right. Right. The kind of shaking. Right. Yeah, so they're similar in their orientation in that they have a kind of a um, um, not a lagging, right? But there's a kind of a there's a lurching going back right back to yeah. the very beginning. The Brian Jones, there's a lurching to that beat, yeah. and the reggae beat is a lurching beat as yeah. well, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I I I I, I just think Chuck Berry. I would never <laughs> get tired. I just I'd like to say something again about my my dear father, who I adore and love deeply, and because I remember when I was you know, maybe 12 or 13 years old or something. And, you know, this is when Michael Jackson and, you know, all these things were huge on the radio and stuff. And I was listening to, like, I don't know, punk rock and stuff. And my dad was like, all right, uh, let's listen to some rock and roll. So he put on Bill Haley in the comments. Like, this is the first rock and roll song was the rock around the clock. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. But then he put on Chuck Berry. He had some Chuck Berry. And that, I was like, this is so fucking amazing. I was like 12 or something. This is, And I, I still feel, I'm 50. I listen to this. I have the same rush of just elation when I listen to Chuck Berry after forty years, nearly, of listening to him. You know, and then what is it? What is he doing? It's not complicated. He's not doing anything complicated. So it's hard to figure out what he's tapping into, right? I I can't. And why has he been so influential? It's 
I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe you have some thoughts. I don't know. No. No. Yeah. Because <laughs> he has been, I mean, you know, he, he really is one of the greatest influences. Of, yes. Uh, what you said is interesting about how they didn't really know what they were doing. Doesn't sound like Right, it. yeah. Which so, I, <laughs> and it sounds great. It sounds all the better for it to me. Like this sounds better than any version I've heard of this tune, and I've I know yeah. I've, I know I've so seen they, they performances thought, of this many times, but it they didn't sound like that. They thought they were making it better when they performed it more tightly, but right. they were also losing more something. focused, more, right? Uh, yeah. They they were maybe losing something from that original. It, it kind of reminds me of the early rap stuff. Like if you listen, if you go back to the eighties, you know, and you have there's this guy called Slick Rick who you may have heard of, who's a famous, and he did he would yeah. do this thing with a guy doing the human. <laughs> The beatboxing. The beatbox thing. Yeah. And there's a couple of recordings he did that are just off the cuff and they're laughing half the time and they're not even in time. Like it's like, you know, the beats are like the things are kind of like if you try and count it, it's all wrong. But it's exactly like you're describing. There's something about them. It captured them just figuring out this new form somehow, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was one of the most sampled things as, as a result. It was, it was Slick Rick ended up, you know, very sad, became a crackhead and everything. But but it sounded, what you said about how they, they're kind of like, I don't know, this sounds good. What about you? They're just kind of, you know? <laughs> like they're, they're all in their place, but it's, everybody's in a different place, it sounds <laughs> right. like to me, which is, I, I dig that. Myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Some early Alice Cooper sounds like that too, where it's like everybody sounds like they're doing their thing, but it's like they don't seem to really agree on what it, the music should sound <laughs> like exactly. <laughs> I love his show. His he has a radio show. Oh, which is really cool. Okay. So I catch it in my car sometimes, where he he does stuff like this. He plays stuff and talks about it. And, okay. You know. Yeah, um, the the lyrics. I you didn't. You said you didn't even have time I, to catch. No, them. Yeah, it went by too yeah. I sort of tried to pay attention, but no, the music just totally caught my attention. The the, it, bass, the bass player here and the drummer there and the guitar, right. the guitar there. What well, what I was struck by more than any of the other um, things we've listened to was just the imagery that fills my head. Like when he says the Mississippi Bridge or whatever, I have this, I, I can picture a bridge and then he waving goodbye. I see a girl with tears in her eye. Like it's all, it's image. It's like color film. And I, I'm yeah, not yeah. sure. It's something about the way he writes the lyrics as a story like that. You, you, you could, you have a video in your mind. You I'll know? pay attention to the lyrics yeah. at some point, but probably the next four times. I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Still gonna geeking get, out like, on the I'm music. still going to get all, all tied up in the music. All right. Yeah. Well, listen. This has been great fun. I I I I mentioned to you on the phone the other day that um, I hope it's interesting. To yeah. Well, listeners. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, if, if, of the ten people I'm who listen, sure. yeah, the ten I'm, people who listen to I'm this, not sure. you know, it's uh, a bit a bit like a reaction video, but uh, but uh, reaction video. What do, what do you mean? Oh, you don't want see these reaction videos on uh, YouTube? Of what? There's a million uh, oh. music for music. Where, oh, where two guys play a piece of music and then they oh, okay. talk. Uh, some are good at it. Some aren't. There's oh, yeah. Okay. There's some some people are really pretty interesting. Good at this. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. Well, I guess so we're we'll in, talk we're, about, we're in. We'll talk about that after. Yeah, we're, we're in the running now. You know, maybe oh, we'll get. You know, maybe we can get. You know. But one of the things I mentioned to you on the phone. The reason I was interested in this is because we listen to such different music. That's the true. The two of us. Yeah. We have very different ears and very different um, uh, likes in music. And so I thought. Uh, Put our heads together. I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought I, I was curious to, to know uh, what you're hearing in the music that you listen to. I appreciate that. And me too for you. I, 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 
it's it's very interesting to how how subjective because there are objective measures of good and bad music. I mean, you can say this music is bad for X reasons. I, I suppose, right? yeah. If on, on the other if, hand, once you have a standard, you need a standard, right. I guess. And not every music has the same standard, so it becomes kind of complicated. You well, know? yeah, you're not going to you're not going to use the same standard for Chuck Berry as you are for Beethoven. Right, right. So, I mean, and, and just even objectively, if you say that those musicians, you know, in the this song we just listened to. They're all kind of disjointed. You could say, well, they're not playing very well, which would might technically be true. Like it might technically, they're not all that together. But then there's something that that brings to it that is hard to. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things right. that are hard to quantify. Exactly. There's exactly. So sure. it's, it, that's sure. one problem: is the quantification of things is hard to do. But the other thing is the subjectivity. Yeah. By definition, I, the way that you hear music and the way that I hear, every individual is going to hear things slightly differently. Some people have similar tastes. I'm very curious about right? that. Yeah. How Sonny? When I interviewed Sonny Greenwich, he talked about this. He, he talked, did. Yeah. He talked about the the way we hear music is quite different. And he said, he said, if if you know, um, if if anyone could figure out what everybody liked, that, that that person would be the zillionaire who, because even of the most popular bands, some people hate them, right? Take the most famous stuff in the world; some people are just not going to like it. And yeah. Not necessarily because it's famous; they just don't like that music. They don't like the way it sounds. Right? Liking something and hearing something are different too, though. I can hear things that I don't like, and I mean, recognize, but I can hear the music. Yeah. I can hear what's there. Like there's lots of bands that. I, I can hear what's going on there and why people might like it and what makes it mm. how how good they are and yeah but there's some bands I just it's it, taste question questions of taste I don't I try not to let my taste get into things too much I try and listen to things for that's interesting for what's I I try not to bring my taste uh, so you take an objectivist I, is I that try and just put it uh, uh, it's hard to know what standard to apply to any uh, piece of music. It's the I think it's it's uh, it's the most uh, abstract of the art forms. I think, yeah. and so it, it's sometimes it's hard to know what standard to apply, and you have to have some knowledge, I guess, in order to bring something to it. But music's a kind of a two way street, you know. I, I think Jordan Peterson talks about how music is is the the highest of all art forms. He has an explanation for that. But I think the one thing about music that is really interesting is that it really is universal. I mean, music is really something that all people have done, and you can play music from other I'm parts. Sure they've all done pictures too. Yeah, well, cave drawings, which yeah, I'm convinced I'm were sure early every, pornography. Every, every people have done. Have <laughs> done con- oh yeah, I, I'm convinced. Porn. If you look at like, you're like, oh, this is a fertility drawing. It's like, no, it's a bunch of dudes going, hey, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, these guys are obsessed with that sex, junk. right? You know, you know? Got good, good. Yeah, you know, no, but yeah. no, it's it's true. No, you, I, it, to be fair, yes, other forms of art, um, you know, uh, are universal as well. But music is really something that people across cultures can really kind of connect in a way that I'm, I'm not sure. It's a di- that's a difficult question, I think. I think there's a lot of things that have to do with uh, maybe with specifically with tunings that are not, mm. that some people just can't wrap their ears around. Uh, there's all different kinds. I mean, I remember talking to my father about the seven-note scale thing, and he was talking about the uh, the, the, the scale in, in, in China, the five-note one and everything. Right. And, and so I had assumed that those notes were just the same in nature. Like they were like – and then so then we started talking about African music, and he's like, there's no scales. 
And I was like, what do you mean? They don't have, how do they not have notes? He said, no, they, they know what pitch is. But and he wasn't making any insulting comment about African music. He was just saying that indigenous African music, which is rich as hell, has ne never developed a system of scales. It just didn't no, do it. Not one right? system of scales the way that we've developed the well tempered. But they, system, they just but... use pitch. They just use pitch. That's, uh... that's, that's what he said. That's what he told me. This is a long time ago. And he may object when he hears this, so if he hears, if he's listened this long, but um, which really blew my head open because it made me think even something you would think as universal as notes are just, in some senses, we've not created them, but we've codified, codified them is one way to yeah. think about it, right? Yeah. We've, you know, and there's some cultural and there's, element. Yes, there is. There's some, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, there's no question Absolutely. about that. I think the, the purest thing that is probably universal to all humans would be something about rhythm. Probably. Because the, if, if the original thing <laughs> that people would have done originally would be to beat things and sing. Right, well, you're right. You know, one of those things. You I saw know. something recently right. that the oldest instrument known is from the Neanderthal period. And it's a flute. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard yeah. that flutes are ancient. That surprised me. Which, which is surprising. Older than a drum. Older than well, older well, no, but older of you know. <laughs> look, people beating <laughs> Not older than things. beating on a rock. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, so this, so this kind of brings me to this is stuff I don't know. I'm not. I, eth yeah. Ethnomusicology. Is deep not my, deep my, musicology. Not my field, but I do. I do. Yeah. I do know that, I mean, uh, um, different cultures have different scales, different uh, ways of dividing up the octave, the note, yeah. the note between C and the C above it. Mm -hmm. we, we divide that into seven. 12 yeah. notes. 12, right. Yeah, seven, 12 semitones. Right. Seven for seven a scale, for five, a minute, yeah. like a scale, or right. major or minor scale. But, but uh, I mean, in, um, in China, C, the C above this C, is not uh do you know how it works mm -hmm. with uh yeah we could talk about this after yeah. this is gonna be boring. But uh it's it's what, not it's, it's it's not it's not exactly double. Like C on, on that instrument that I'm pointing at, my vibraphone, C uh is about, I don't know, maybe uh, three hundred and eighty cycles, let's right, say middle C right. and the C above that is twice that, seven hundred and uh, if I said three hundred, mm. did I say three hundred and eight? So seven hundred and sixty. It's exactly so. If you were to look exactly at the waves, it would double. be two. It would be in China. Split it down the middle, yeah, right? Yeah. In China, right. it's not the case. You, uh, the they don't octave, double. The octave is not double. It's somewhere just, I think, just above. Just above. Interesting. So yeah. uh, they don't even divide the octave. What they call an octave is not what we call an octave. Not mm. not to mention the way that they would divide that up, all the spaces in between. But just that yeah. that simple unit of calling the note by the same name it's not right difficult. yeah i'm not I mean, sure they call it by the same name like we say c and, and well the, and those, those are developments that different peoples in different parts different of the cultures, world have yeah. cultures have developed and um, we can't wrap our I, I think a lot of western people simply can't wrap their ears around oriental a lot east asian yeah. music is hard to understand i mean especially i don't know Chinese. how many when i say a, a lot i mean people who listen to radio music probably have would have trouble, trouble. With that. yeah although i don't know i think maybe in hip-hop they're using a lot of stuff that's like micro tuning you know. it's a good question i mean it's uh, but one of the things to enough hip-hop to know but i'm sure that there's plenty of uh, yeah like the hip the people are in doing hip-hop are sampling all kinds of shit from, well, I, the other thing is that the world the popular music of the world has really become a global market. Like if you talk to young people, yes. some of them are listening to K-pop, some of them yes. are listening to like bachata. A lot of Latin yes. music has entered the popular sphere, more which is now a new development than ever. than ever. And it's probably a great thing yeah. for you because it means more people listening to different things. I mean, there's this huge hit on the radio 
that's by a New York rapper of Guyanese origin. It's called St. John, S-N-T-J-H-N. He's got this weird name. And it was a huge hit in 2020. It's massive. It's I love it. You would probably hate it. But it's but uh, uh, it's one Why of my favorite. Why do you think I would hate it? Just because we listen to stuff sometimes and you don't like it, some of the oh. more modern stuff. So I don't know. I, I'll play it for you. Maybe you'll like it. But yeah. um, it's, the name is St. John. I'm forgetting the name. But, but I read about that. It's from 2020. It was a huge, massive hit in 2020. It was all over. The way hits happen now is they come up with like kids are like trading things on different Spotify and websites and stuff like that. And then the radio stations go and find out what the kids are listening to that. It takes longer to get to the radio now. It used to go on the radio first and then back down. But now it's kind of the radio is now once something is big among the kids for about six months or whatever, it might make it to the radio. But that's so it made it to the radio in about 2000, late 20, early 2021, this Mm -hmm. song. And I read about the origin of it, and it was this guy in New York, this rapper who hooked up with a guy in in Kazakhstan. Oh yeah, and like to, to make the beat for him. I don't know how they got hooked up. They had a Zoom call, and they put it together. It was some Russian guy in Uzbekistan or something. I you know, right? It became this massive hit, right? Yeah. You, know? you can it's hook like, up. It's uh, amazing how you can hook up. I, yeah. In the early '90s, I did a project. Um, I was. <clears throat> Uh, there's a group I like called the residents Yeah, had a fan club newsletter and they have a worldwide audience uh, cult band. And I put an ad in their newsletter that I wanted to make music with people who had four track recorders. And (laughs) so I set up a system whereby we sent cassette tapes all around the place to Belgium and uh, a lot in Canada, a lot in the States, a couple in Belgium. It took yeah. months of those it things. It took a to, year. Yeah, it's, to it's, circulate it's around. Going around for a year. You could do that. You could do that in a couple of days now. You could That's literally right. email things. That's and right. Send them you just put it up Facebook to, yeah, or drop, whatever. Dropbox. Dropbox. Your files are up there, and it's like you, know. you, know, you could have twelve people working on it at once. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. within a week, you could get what took you That's a year it. of diligent work. I've, so, I've, I've, yeah, I, I, you were ahead the of the idea, curve. The idea that people could do this now is like way. Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. But you were, I, I've heard you talking about that on Facebook, and I was somewhat impressed in the sense that you, it sounds like you and these people were not foreseeing what was going to happen with the internet, but it was the same concept that you can trade ideas mail, around. Mail, it was like, a, yeah. there was a whole mail art community at that time that would, that would do visual art stuff, but I'm not sure there was much going on with cassettes and four tracks at the it must have been something, but well, you were. I figured. Right? I figured out. Right. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. You were, and 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 that concept has become. I mean, look, this hit on the radio is yeah, people, effectively all, a couple of guys, of one in make, Russia, one in New York. Yeah, all or whatever, kinds of you know, records now are made by people who yeah. are not in yeah. the same room. Sunny never even met physically. Yeah. Well, in Sunny, I mean, I've I, never met. Uh, there were eleven people in that project. I've met three. Oh, really? <laughs> That's three, I've met three of them. Yeah. Sonny still works with the drummer from Bootsaws, who lives in Toronto. He's yeah. been in Ireland since 1998 it's or something, so right? It's you know, so and they, they just hook up and they send things back and forth, you know? Right. And, uh, yeah. So one of the things I wanted to say about this uh, Chuck Berry thing is that um, there's a there's a standard in French writing, I was explaining to you this on the phone, mm-hmm. about how at the end of an essay, when you're writing an essay, is you do what's called an opening. So you yeah. you sort of change the subject in some way, you open by asking a question. It's not so common in English to ask a question at the end. It's sort of not typical, but it is. So I sort of think of this, I'm hoping you will agree to do this, but this chuck berry thing as an opening i was thinking about doing something in the future about more 
sort of more roots rock and roll stuff from way back in the 50s and the you know something like that I, I don't know something more like what are the origins of all the stuff that we were you know we had bjm and Joni mitchell and uh, les colocs and all that kind of stuff right who are the progenitors of that so we had we had one just now chuck berry right so i don't know do you have any ideas that you might want to think of who, mm. others who may make that list i don't know well i mean certainly somebody like uh Louis Jordan is a Louis Jordan. huge influence on rock and roll. I'm thinking Bo Diddley. I, th I think Bo Diddley is one of the... Uh, Louis Jordan's before Bo Diddley. Is he? Yeah, okay. Louis so Jordan, maybe... Louis Jordan's in the 40s, you know, jump, really? jump music. Really? Okay. Um, That's cool. Okay, great. So we're already... Um, but I'm, I'm not really knowledgeable on the... What I guess the history of, rock but we can. I listen, mean, I have some idea. But we can but listen to some of that music and try and, try and, and yeah, try and, and right, yeah, just just for ourselves. I even. suppose so. I don't know if you're, because I'm thinking. I mean, those are three names, right? Louis Jordan, who's that's even pre. I didn't even. I've heard that name, but I don't know anything about him. I'll Bo show, Diddley. I'll show you a quick video. Really? Okay. So I was thinking, and, and you know, it's before guitars. So he was a, he was a saxophone player. Oh, cool. Like, okay. Yeah. Sort of like. Proto rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, and I of mean, course, there's definitely blues. There's like the early blues players. Well, there's also, I mean, something as you know, some might object to the the, the the popular and mundane nature of someone like Elvis Presley. But Elvis Presley, oh, man, Elvis, is Elvis hilarious. is incredible. If you, yeah, yeah, he's a great. You listen, I listen to Elvis Presley. I'm like, man, that was, guy. You know, <laughs> I was watching. I was watching something a few weeks ago, and I swear, I was just, I was just laughing my ass off because it's just, he's such a character well he was an incredible vocalist of course he burned out very his, quickly his style yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very it's very sad what happened to him in his life how he was abused i suppose by his so i thought maybe we could do something like that i'm not sure if we would follow the same structure of bouncing songs back and forth maybe we would build them just from thinking Discussion. that as a theme like to say like okay let's think progenitors of popular music right so louis jordan Bo it would Dilley, be an education Chuck Berry. it would be an education yeah. for me Okay. All right. So let's. It's not, it's not my uh, area of knowledge. Well, who has an area of knowledge, man? I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm supposed to be a language teacher, right? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's my area of expertise. But all right, Ken. Listen, this has been a real pleasure. I really yeah, enjoyed this. All right. Thank you for listening to today's guest on the Mega Blast Podcast. I've been your host, Jason McDonald. This podcast is brought to you by Arts and Opinion, an online journal, which is also available in the permanent archives of Canada. Visit us online at artsandopinion.com. 